We've got a full panel this week. We've got JJ. How you doing, JJ? Oh man, that's cool. <laughs> Analyzed after dark. Yeah, dude, you're ruining the ambiance, man. Come on, I've got this nice, relaxing jazz. I laugh during foreplay. Oh, oh, okay. And who else do we have? We've got Elias back with us. How you doing, man? Hey, hey, back this- again. And uh, this week we also have Serotonin is back once again. Hello. The voice of Analyzed. <laughs> At least the intro and outro. Yep. And this week we have a guest. We are talking with Will. How are you doing, Will? I am uh, I'm doing about as well as you can do following an epic Chiefs loss in a Super Bowl and Working uh, outdoors on a on a loading dock where the average temperature this week's have been about four. Ouch, that's cold. Yeah, it it's been pretty cold. The fact that you're talking to us means you must be doing astoundingly well. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all like to we all like to grumble and complain, and then I'll be honest with you. I've been I've been a pastor. I've been a bus driver. They've all been jobs I like more. Um, but I make far more money slinging freight with a forklift. And so we all complain about our jobs and then come payday, we all like our jobs. Very true. Yeah, I I agree with that. Although I actually kind of like the cold, but I'm weird like that. Okay, Elsa. (laughs) I know I was going to (laughs) say. Let me, let me correct that. I actually don't like, (laughs) I'm, I'm the biggest wuss when it comes to cold. I just really know how to dress for it. And if you're dressed for it, it's really not bad. <laughs> I got to be honest, when I was younger, I despised winter in, in all of its, its, its ways. And I love summer. And I, th- I think part of that's because, you know, summer, uh, you don't have school. You run around, go to the pool, play baseball. Um, this last summer, I don't know about your guys' various states, but we had about five straight weeks here where it was about 95 degrees. And I think I kind of outgrew the summer. So up until this week when it, dipped down into like the four degree range. I was actually really enjoying this winter. Yeah. It I've, hasn't been that bad just no, until recently. Really. I'm into it. I'm into all that like ice man therapy, polar bear club <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so this week we're going to be talking about relationships and we Honestly, didn't do a lot of prep work or pre-discussion on this, so we're just going to be going in kind of, uh, kind of cold. Um, you want to kind of give us your, you know, kind of your background, what kind of a uh, uh, view you have, your maybe maybe some of your political or religious positions. You're t- you're talking to me, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, I'm Will Wrights. I'm a, a former pastor of a uh, Southern Baptist church. I still attend a Southern Baptist church where I teach kind of a academically inclined Sunday school theology kind of thing. It's a f- extremely small church, and I actually really like it that way. Um, my experience with larger churches has been uh, mixed. Um, 
I'm, I tend to be pretty conservative when it comes to, to I mean, today, uh, coming into this, uh, when you guys hear this whole conversation, I think I'm going to come across as easily the most conservative person. But I got to be honest with you, the last five years or so, I feel, especially in the circles I run in, I feel almost like a hippie. <laughs> I just, the, 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 the Trump revolution has left me entirely disillusioned to the uh, political conservative mm. world and... Um, I, I listened to all your guys's podcasts and, and, uh, the one that had me almost, you know, wanting to, to, to rip the earbuds out of my, my head was the, the one with the, uh, uh, and I don't want to bad mouth anybody, but the, uh, the flat earth fella and, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and just, that was, mean, that was, was the an, last podcast that I wasn't on. Uh, yeah. I, I just, everything. And, and, and he couched everything in, um, in theological terms. And of course I have a, I have a master's degree in theology. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting here trying to get some work done. And, and just about every time I want to stop and say, okay, actually you're, you're totally misinterpreting these verses. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're not taking them in light with those verses. I just, it was, it was extremely frustrating. Well, and I, I kind of feel like, like I know a lot of Christians and I know a lot of different types of Christians and there's not a lot of consistency on all of their conclusions, except that they all believe that most everybody else has misinterpreted something very mm-hmm. drastically wrong. So, um, and it seems that there's a lot of people with, you know, very, a lot of confidence in their own position. So, um, yeah, and that's fair, except the, um, I don't know. I don't know how how into the evangelical world all of you guys were at certain points in your in your life, but about, the Nazarene graduate. Uh, well, once upon a time there was a, a book series called Left Behind, which mm-hmm. I'm ashamed to say I still kind of like. It was, <laughs> but um, kind of, emphasis on the kind of. But that was kind of born out of the whole. Uh, although to be fair to those particular authors, they weren't into it. But that was kind of born in, out of that whole Bible code mm-hmm. uh, mythos, and. I always, I always like to tell people there is a Bible code. It is 22 Greek letters and, you know, 20 some odd. I, I never actually learned Hebrew, but uh, 20 some odd Hebrew letters. And they're, when they're arranged in a certain way, they create words. And when you arrange those words in a certain way, they create sentences. Oh, yeah. And if you read those sentences, they convey meaning. And whenever your theology goes beyond, around, or completely ignores the meaning of the text, then I do believe that it is rational from a faith-based perspective to tell certain people that you, you have misunderstood this. <laughs> and That's fair you, you do not have the warrant to believe what you say you believe. As an American, you can believe whatever you want. You, you can believe your dog is a gargoyle that's going to take over Ukraine someday. It doesn't make it true. You have no reason to believe that. And of course, I, I pretty much know your guys' positions on Scripture and uh, Revelation just by listening to your podcast. So I know we could have an entirely different discussion, and we oh, might yeah. someday, right. about, uh, about uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The science of how you know things. Right. Epistemology. Epistemology. Yes. There's the word. We can have a discussion about epistemology, but if you're going to build theology out of something, and if that something's going to be scripture, and if you're going to say that, and if you're going to hang your, fly your sola scriptura banner, um, then then do that. <laughs> uh, base your theology off scripture. Hone 
and sharpen your theology from Scripture. And when you're wrong about things, admit it, fix it. And I don't know, just some combination of conservative theology and good old American individualism combined with solid sola scripture theology, it just does not mix well. Well, um, and that is a whole different conversation as... And it is indeed. <laughs> I mean, I... And I apologize for going down No, that no, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, um, we we asked for background, and yeah. that all shapes how you view relationships. Yes. Yeah, we can, uh, can kind of segue into um, relationships, because that's kind of what we were going to talk about. And that's, uh, to kind of give you some of my background, um, I came from the Southern Baptist Church. So that's kind of what I grew up in was a very conservative, um, in my view, very sex negative, uh, repressive attitude towards sexuality and relationships. Um, and I think that having come out of that, uh, now I do have a very drastically different um, moral groundwork for, uh, you know, kind of what I view as ethical uh, in regards to relationships and uh, sexuality and, you know, how, how I how I would prefer to structure relationships. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there, you know, that doesn't surprise me um, in, in um, a lot of times. And I, 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 gosh, I hate to, I just hate to put uh, words in your mouth or, or fill in the story, what, what I don't know. But I, I've seen a lot of that where uh, when, you're, when you're in one worldview, uh, one frame of mind, and you, and you get dis- disillusioned to that, there can be kind of a, uh, a rubber band or a slingshot effect. Right. And so it, it doesn't really surprise me that you would um, entirely c- reconstruct that. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I have a different position, and I think I can, I can flesh it out along the way. But sure. Well, one, one of the things, I, I hope, the, the, I hope the, the impression I give off by the end of this conversation is that I'm actually going to be more open than, than you might think I am. Okay. Even with conservative values. Uh, I tend to I, I tend to be to the left of most of my friends. Now, when I was in seminary, I felt like pretty much a hippie, and when I was in college, I, I felt like you know almost like a Jerry Falwell conservative. I've always I've always mm-hmm. kind of whatever circles I run in, I, I tend to always feel like an uh, an extremist, even though I I, I think I'm a, pretty much a moderate. Okay, I, or at least I hope so. I might consider myself pretty far left. Um... But then again, it's hard for me to really put it like a political affiliation to mm-hmm. relationship structures, uh, aside from just being very, um, I guess, much more progressively minded and less conservative and maybe more positive in regards to, you know, my views are around sexuality and relationships in general. Um, well, so and the terms, cons- the terms conservative and liberal often are very not helpful. Right. I mean, right. The. We've all seen on on Facebook. Uh, usually, our, one of our uncles has posted something about how Democrats were the ones that blocked or tried to block the Fourteenth Amendment, for instance, mm-hmm. and the guaranteeing um, the, uh, blacks the right to vote. Um, and and that was true because we've gone through about two and a half shifts since then, where where <laughs> right. where, the, where the where the where the parties have kind of shifted. Who's yep. conservative and liberal? Yep. Jesus, for instance. I could make a pretty strong argument that he wasn't – I wouldn't say – liberal might be too strong, but I, left of center absolutely in his culture, where mm-hmm. if you take him with his exact viewpoints and put him in our society today, uh, I think generally he would be considered conservative. 
And then you have a problem in America that they don't have in places like England where we don't tend to have people who are politically liberal and uh, religiously or faith-based being conservative or vice versa. Right. Um, and and uh, there tends to be more political, religious diversity along those lines in, in other places. Uh, and in America, for some reason, we've, we've, just, we've just equated as if, you, you know, if, if you don't support um, or if, if you support like a laissez-faire economics, then you must also be, you know, some kind of fundamentalist Christian. Right. There are some pretty hardcore atheist anarcho-capitalists out there. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. true. Um, so to kind of get into maybe just probing a little bit, um, try to think of some good questions to ask. Now, you. was that was that an intended double entendre for uh, <laughs> sex-based conversation? Um, no, actually, I, it wasn't. I, I've got something I want to pose. Sure. In the past, when I, Will, and I were young chillins. Out of yep. East Lynn. I had barely even heard of the term of homosexuality. And now that I am about near 40, I am Don't commonly seen. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, I, I'm still good looking, but golly, the hair is getting gray. <laughs> um, now, it's not uncommon for me to see polyamory mentioned in the news. Yeah. Now, in what ways, Will, do you are you concerned about this uh, definite? I would almost, I hate to call it a secularization, because that that doesn't capture the whole picture. But it, to a certain degree, it has at least uh, correlated with the increasing secular nature of the American community. What about that? Would you like to unpack from your experiences? Uh, I, I, if I had children myself, I'll be honest, I'd I'd probably be more concerned. And if I was a youth pastor, I'd probably be more concerned. Um, as neither of those things, I I just, I, I I don't find myself getting overly concerned when, and please don't be offended by this term. I'm going to use a church term. I don't get offended when lost people behave as such. Um, can I ask a question? Um, Yes. Why would, uh, having kids or being in the youth group or in charge of the youth group uh, give you more concern? Oh, impressionability. Um, one of you guys uh, in previous podcasts... Uh, I, could, could, I could actually kind of uh, express the same concern with uh, impressionability of, of young people within religion. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I mean, it's, 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 all, I mean, it's, it's all perspective, isn't it? Right, right. Um, but there, there's certain things... Um, when I tend to hear people talk about cancel culture, I tend to roll my eyes a little bit, but there's, there's a little bit of that. And, and I've actually noticed it within the left, like left people, uh, like JK Rawlings. I don't think anybody can really say that JK Rawlings is conservative, but her particular, uh, am I saying her last name, right? JK Rawling? Rawlings? Yeah. Um, her particular brand of female-centered feminism, which I'm probably a much better way of describing her position. Mm -hmm. A lot of Um, people from the far left call her a TERF. Yeah. (laughs) Explain that one to me. T-E-R-F, trans-exclusionary or... Yeah, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. 
Yeah. There you go. And and so, um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, th- there does tend to be a, a little bit of a, a cancel culture thing going on there. So you know, there's there's fears uh, among us uh, conservatives that um, that that if we try to inculcate certain values um, in our in our youth, it it uh, it can make us look like we're basically uh, Klansmen, you know, to use a, a racial term that, that we're, um, on the wrong side of history, you know, the, the, fill in the blank. And I, I, it, it's hard for me, you know, I can't abandon, or, or at least, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to rethink, but I'm not going to abandon a lot of my, uh, ethics as far as, uh, what is, what is good, what is, right what is is wholesome when it comes to sexuality um however i'm also a pretty since like i said since i since i don't uh currently have any worries about uh uh, people under my care and their impressionability i'm pretty i'm pretty staunchly uh, in american uh, you know gung-ho america individualism that that uh I i don't want the government or, or any, any group with power to enforce my morality on you guys, or vice versa. That's far less contentious than I was hoping, JJ. Who have you exactly. brought on? <laughs> oh, you wanted more contention? <laughs> no, I'm just well, kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I think that's actually quite reasonable. Um, that's, that's... You know, that's, that's the way I've, I, you know, I've generally felt that way as well um, for a long time except on the issue of abortion. That was the one thing where for me, like when I was into hardcore evan- evangelicalism, that was the line in the sand. And uh, that's even, I think now that's even more a line in the sand than, it, you know, maybe the other things like LGBTQ issues and things of that sort. Like, and in this current crowd, I'm I'm going to admit I'm 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 pretty strongly pro-life, and and, and I I would I would argue that position. I also have uh, you know I also have a a, a small uh, a travel carry-on case of caveats that I like to throw out to my Christian friends uh, as well, such as um, in a society where abortion is legal and young women who really aren't women yet. Uh, are, are faced with with unwanted pregnancies that could ruin their life. When they do choose to choose a, a legal path for them, we need to do everything in our power not to demonize them. Right. Um, we can still disagree uh, uh, with society in general about whether abortion is good, wholesome, or right, and and not and but not also be you know. Uh, scarlet letter, uh, uh, disp- you know, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. You, you know, trying yeah. to uh, mark everybody who's who's uh, uh, chosen to to take that route. In fact, I tend to uh, um, see those who 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 are put in a position where they don't feel like they have another position except abortion. I tend to see them as victims as well. I would like to see. I, I'm 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 pretty close to just deciding to declare this as my political affiliation, the uh, Democrats for Life for America, DFLA on Facebook, mm-hmm. the, um, 
the pro-life for the whole life. I, I believe that, that if, if uh, the governments, especially in states like Mississippi and Arkansas, those that have the, the provisions in place that as soon as Roe v. Wade gets uh, overturned, the, these laws will immediately become law where it'll be illegal in those states. Well, if they're planning on doing that, they also need to set aside a pretty healthy amount of, or a pretty large amount of funding in order to help people that find themselves in those positions to provide food, childcare, educational opportunities so that any young woman that finds herself in that position isn't automatically writing off her entire future just because her choices don't tend to line up with my opinions on morality. You know, something else, I, I was just thinking about this, I haven't even thought about it before. You know, if uh, Roe v. Wade do, does get overturned, like, has anybody thought about the repercussions of what's going to ha- happen with uh, human services and um, child protective services and so on, you know, DCS-based stuff, because uh, there's going to be a large influx of kids that probably uh, will end up in states' custody and, you know, right. stuff like that. So yeah, there are knock on, we're, there are we're knock looking on at, issues. yeah, and we're, we're, they're like ignoring the fact that if they do this, it's essentially going to force the government to enlarge. And if anybody, anybody on my side of this debate likes to uh, stick their fingers in their ears or pretend like none of that is right. worth <laughs> discussing, they really don't have anything to add. Um, Pretty much, if 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 all you want to be is anti-abortion and you don't want to spend, because unfortunately, uh, a lot of the people on my side of this debate also hold to pretty staunch, you know, small government, no tax positions. Right. If you're if all you want to do is prevent young women from from getting an abortion and you don't want to provide any help whatsoever for women in those positions, then. All, all you're doing is, is, is deciding that you're going to ruin certain people's lives. And as a Christian, I would like to see the church step up and, and, uh, and, and, and take, the, uh, you know, take a position where we help people in those, in, in those situations. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just not I'm, – I'm, I'm seeing that in certain cases, but it's, it's certainly not normal for, the event, for an individual evangelical church to have such a ministry. Right. Um- you know, here's something I'm very interested in hearing your perspective on. Um, I grew up in the evangelical church, and I was very much a part of what we would call um, the purity culture, mm-hmm. like the uh, kind of like the promise ring movement and Joshua Harris, I kissed dating goodbye. Are oh, you familiar yeah. with that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I was a Josh Harris acolyte through and through. So do you still kind of hold to those views or do you find that maybe some of that stuff was uh, maybe less effective than he uh, presented it? I think that, that the I Kiss Dating Goodbye, especially the book, um, for, for those who, who are listening to the podcast who have no idea what we're talking about, Joshua Harris was a pastor who wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. When he was at the ripe old age of 22 and thought that he knew so much about the world and relationships, and basically it was uh, 
trust God, he will provide um, uh, a spouse for you in, in his due time. And I know that that's overly simplistic, but uh, it was a message I think I, I kind of needed at that age and uh, shortly thereafter outgrew. Um, now, that being said, I, uh, I, had, I had a hard time. I'm, 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 I'm pretty overweight. I'm, I'm north of 300 pounds. Um, I've always, JJ remembers when I was a kid, I was, I was, uh, probably a, a stone heavier than everybody in class and a foot and a head taller. Well, eventually I wasn't a head taller anymore, but I was always heavier. So I've, I've never really been, uh, swimming in dates. Um, I've had a handful, but, but not very many. And into my early thirties, I, I was having a hard time being a small town pastor and being, overweight and having some general uh, confidence issues, at least when it comes to the romantic side of things. And a, um, a friend of a friend drops me, a, I don't know this guy yet, drops me a, a message on Facebook one day and says, hey, I, um, I noticed you talking to my friend on Facebook and, and you, you made a joke about being single. And I, I read everything on your Facebook page and I think you seem like a neat guy. I think you should meet my fiance's sister. Which, for for most of you out there listening, there's a lot of red flags there, and I didn't listen to any of them, and I'm glad I didn't because it worked out for me. Uh, so so <laughs> what what this guy, this now my brother-in-law in law, um, Peter uh, decided to go on a random trip to the Philippines just for the heck of it, because just because he can afford it and he wanted to see the world, and he met the Lamibo family, fell in love with their second youngest or second oldest daughter. And and on a return trip, he proposed, and they, uh, they I mean, they got engaged. And then my mother-in-law, my now mother-in-law, said to to Peter, he, uh, she goes, "Now you need to go back to America and find a husband for my uh, oldest daughter, Gretchen, because in our culture, the younger daughter does not get married before the older daughter." And everybody, everybody in the family swears she was kidding, but Peter did not think she was kidding. So he goes back to America and he starts searching for a, a husband for, for Gretchen. And he, uh, he says, Hey, I, th- I think you should meet my fiance's, uh, sister. So I do, we start talking on Facebook. Uh, it, it it's, uh, it work it's, it's working out really great. Then uh, typhoon Haiyan hits the Philippines about three months into us discussing. And I don't, I, I don't hear from her for a week and n- not having that conversation. Not only did I fear she was dead, um, but I realized I loved her. And so eventually what, what happened is the, the typhoon knocked out some electricity in their town. And, uh, my mother-in-law decided to take that opportunity to run into Manila to get some supplies for her store. Her store was the only place in town to use the internet. And so nobody in town had, except for the people who were wealthy enough to have internet in their homes, nobody had internet. So eventually I was able to communicate with her and everything worked out. Uh, great. And so, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't afford multiple trips to the Philippines, so I decided to take a leap of faith. And when Peter and I, uh, that March, decided to go to the Philippines, I went with a ring in my pocket. And uh, so, I literally, I, I met this this uh, this really short, beautiful Filipino uh, in, in the Manila airport. And the, we saw each other, and the closer, and we, we had seen each other online. But the closer we got to each other, the shorter she got, and in her eyes, the I'm sure the heavier I got. <laughs> but 
um, we, I mean, w- w- the chemistry was great. We had such a great time. I, um, proposed to her beside a lake in the Philippines. It was great. The next day we, we, uh, ironically, we had our first date. If by date you define just me and her, um, the day after we got engaged and, uh, then, uh, started the immigration process. She got over here and we got married. It was great. And we, because I came from that culture that, uh, Elias, that you described that purity culture, I had not yet, I was still a virgin and I had actually not even kissed a girl, even though I'd never, I'd never made a decision not to do that. I just hadn't. And so we, together, we made the decision not to do that uh, until the wedding day. So my, my best friend who was uh, our pastor at our wedding, he, he tells everybody, he's like, hey, guys, guess what? Uh, I'm going to present to you Mr. and Mrs. Will Wright, and this is going to be their first kiss ever. And so we had our first kiss. It was awesome. Moving on. Um, but I had to tell a few people, you know, some people said, wait, is that the way you're supposed to do it? You know, does the Bible say you're not supposed to kiss until the wedding day? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's not a thing. Um, but because we were from that purity culture, that's the way that it worked out for us. And now six, six and a half years into our, our marriage, it's, uh, it, it's great. It worked out great for us. That's not everybody's story. That's not, uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid that that purity culture, or at least aspects of you. it, has 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 created a lot of damage in a lot of people who are emotionally immature and used I kiss dating goodbye as a crutch. And I'm so sorry to waste so much time. Please go ahead. Oh no worries. Um, no, that's like that's a really fascinating background. That's really specific to your experience. Yes. And you, you mentioned that when you were asked if people should participate in that purity culture approach to relationships, that, that wasn't, there wasn't a biblical basis for that. There wasn't a biblical basis for the idea that you have to save everything, including your first kiss. Now, what relationships are biblical? Like, what's the most liberal biblical relationship that would still be permissible? Ooh, what a fascinating concept. Because, um, like, I'm it, looking— at like in looking at the Bible, there are many different relationship styles that are mentioned. Mentioned, some of, yes. And some of them we would not condone. Absolutely not. But some of them were tolerated by God. And you know we could we can split hairs over whether or not it was old or new covenant why that was tolerated, but. Before we do that, it, we, we would agree that there are places in the Bible where a non-monogamous relationship was at least tolerated by God. Yeah, depending on how you define tolerated, I, I would go with that. Um, is Do you think that people could have a relationship with Christ but practice ethical non-monogamy? It, 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 that, that, that's a tricky position. I mean, it's, it's every, every youth pastor knows the, at some point somebody will come up and say, Hey, can I still be a Christian and fill in the blank? I would argue, at least if I was talking to, to a fellow Christian, I, I would say that that's really not the right mindset. What uh... I would say the right mindset would be try to find what's healthy and right. And well, I ask this because, like, there are clear places where the Bible does, like, strictly delineate some, you know, prohibitions. Mm-hmm. 
But the idea of a monogamous relationship is not a strictly delineated thing in the New Testament. Well, it it, is, it, it, it's not spelled out. But part of the problem is it's, it's a lost-in-translation thing. Uh, in Greek, well, like, for instance, uh, I've actually, I don't know, I can count, uh, I, I can't count the number of times somebody's asked me to point out in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not have sex before marriage, because it's not there in either testament. What you do have is in the Greek language, you have the word porneia, which is the base word for, in English, we have uh, fornication and pornography. Both come from the word porneia. And that word, its definition is any sexual contact or expression except for um, uh, sex, uh, sexual expression between a man and a, a, a male uh, husband and a female wife. And so that leaves a lot of, of, um, of options that in uh, a democracy and a freedom, liberty-based society like ours that are not biblically sanctioned, just, because, just based on the definition of the word porneia. And every time you read, if you read through scripture and you see the phrase, especially in, in modern translations where it says sexual immorality, that is always the Greek word porneia. So, and I'm maybe less interested personally in mm-hmm. um, maybe the theological standard as much as really what your particular beliefs are. Um, like, why do you think that, okay, for instance, I mean, polygamy in the, in the Bible is what we're getting at, mm-hmm. um, but why is that no longer ethically permissible? Well, and you'd also well, kind of tacked in uh, non-heterosexuality as well. Exactly. Right. And, and uh, by the way, I don't want to dominate this conversation. I'm, I don't want it to be where I'm the only one talking here. I, I want your guys' voices too. So at any time, please feel free to, to, to mm-hmm. uh, you know, steamroll me, <laughs> as it were. The, um, well, one, well, one of the things you—go ahead. A lot of it I, do want, I just want to take in— and let you kind of set the stage, because as you've said off the top, you aren't representative of a large swath of Christians in America. Right. And more than you'd think, though. Well, and, and I think that you could do ascribe to a lot of the very traditional conservative ideas. You strike me, though, to a certain degree, very libertarian about that, mm-hmm. whereas you don't you're not a theocrat. No, no. Um the if if we were to talk about the 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 theology of theocracy um i would argue that the only good theocracy is going to come when jesus actually physically reigns and of course there's an entire series of podcasts about discussion about that about whether that's really something that's coming et cetera et cetera et cetera uh, but until that point unless you are jesus christ and donald trump so very is not and was not and never will be um, then no, the uh, a society should not enforce biblical morality. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I didn't um, change my profile picture when when uh, Hodges versus Obergefell. Uh, oh gosh, help me pronounce it, Obergefell. Uh, when that went down and and uh, gay marriage became legal in the United States, I didn't act like it was a great. Um, defeat because it just didn't feel like one to me. It just felt like like people allowed to do what they want to do. 
And I wouldn't want to live in a society where I was forced to obey Sharia law or the right. dictates right. of Mormonism. Why would I want to force Muslims or Mormons to obey my interpretation of the New Testament and its morality? Well, and I can appreciate that. I can appreciate just kind of the view that everyone should be allowed to do, you know, kind of what they want. Um, maybe what I'm personally more interested in is like, what what would you advise or want to influence people? Like, what what do you think is the standard that you think people should live by, regardless of what they're required to? Um. Okay. Because I uh, like. L- l- let me just. Let me just. Let me just. Uh, just throw throw uh, uh, silly putty against the wall and just see what sticks. Sure. Um, because, I mean, th- th- if I were to, if, if you were to give me a month, I could write a, a position paper <laughs> and, and find a central theme but, and then branch off. And like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Maybe for like um, example, if, if like you had a kid and the, mm-hmm. that kid turned out to be uh, not straight. Um, exactly. Kind of where, because we're not talking about legality at that point. We're talking about mm-hmm. your, your moral uh, standards. Yeah. A lot of it would depend on. Okay, so like I said, I, I'm. This is not going to be a systematic theology of of human uh, sexual morality. So we're just going to shoot from the hip for a while and 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 uh, respond to each other accordingly. Sure. If my child um, were to come to to me and say, "Dad, I um, I, I I feel like I'm," uh, let's assume my it's a son. He says, uh, "Dad, I'm afraid that 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 I'm I'm attracted to men." Well, part of it would be. Uh, the age of the child. If it was if it was a younger child, I probably wouldn't freak out too much about it because uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer that sexual awakening is something that comes gradually over time. And uh, w- um, one of the previous podcasts you guys talked about uh, transgenderism and um, that one, I, one of my biggest fears of transgenderism, as far as I'm concerned, adults uh, being transgendered and making their own decisions just doesn't bother me very much. If an eight-year-old wanted to get uh, a sex change operation, I would be much, and especially if it was my eight-year-old, I would much yeah, more that, likely say, that, "Hey, let's let's walk through this. Let's uh, um, talk. Uh, let's do some counseling. Let's spend ten years making a p- some." A point of PC. Uh huh. Oh, I'm so train- sorry if I cr- did. I cross a line. Well, no, not across. I I, I don't think there was any maliciousness. And I I think it, it it's a uh, it's very nuanced, but a the transgender community has stopped using the idea the term transgenderism. Oh, okay. Because it's not a belief structure. I okay. I can yes. I I have no problem with that. Which I figured, you know. Um, I just thought I'd make mention of that. But back back to your point, as you were saying, like you feel like there's a difference between when a young child is identifying with a gender that wasn't assigned to them at birth. Mm-hmm. And that's different than when somebody does it post puberty. Well, and even, even if like, like I think there's a difference if it's eight year old, if it's 13, 18, I would even say I would, if I, somebody was a- asking me for my pastoral advice and they were 18 or 19, I would still recommend that they, they wait a few years, you know, especially if they want to, if they, they're coming for, because of my quote unquote spiritual expertise. Uh, I'm doing air quotes around the word expertise. Um, then, then I would, I would, uh, assuming they're they're Christian and want to re- remain as such as part of their morality, I would advise them to 
Give it a few more years. Don't rush into any decision. Make sure you're getting appropriate counseling, including professional counseling, not just pastoral counseling. Uh, talk with the people that you love. Find out their, their, their opinions, their advice. Isn't work it? through this. And as, a, as an adult, as a fully-fledged adult, if this is still something you want to do, welcome to America. You know, Isn't that kind of it, something that already happens, though? Like you typically don't have kids getting... Uh, sex changes. I mean, you'll have uh, some hormone treatments, but that goes along hormone with treatments. It, that'll go along with you know professional advice um, and you know some expertise. Well, in, yeah, and and we're process. not. I, I'm going to fully admit my knowledge on how any of that works is very limited. Right. I mean, but I, it, I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm like, not wanting to set myself up as an expert on this. W- without making any ethical claims, just talking about the you know the physiology of the question, it, it's still it's a relatively new science. Right. Agreed. Okay, and so I, I want to jump back a little bit. Ahead. You guys. So uh, let's let's just set aside transgender for a second. How would how would I how, how should I say that? I'm, I'm I want to drop the ism. Just, oh, just, I would just, I would tell, uh, setting aside the issue of talking about transgender people and how that my faith, how I view that whole sociology, you know, how, how I look at that with my faith. Sounds good to me. I would just call so, it, tra- I would, they are transgender people. I would, works for me. Let's uh, set that aside for a second. Let's, yeah. um, so my son comes to me and says, hey dad, I'm, I, I, uh, I feel like I'm gay. Well, first of all, the first thing I absolutely need to be clear about, and, and I would say this to other Christians in sermons, the old idea of disowning your child over something like that needs to go away. The, uh, I, mean, I mean, there would be very few things I would disown my child over, and uh, their sexuality would not be one of them. Um, there are... I don't want to throw any of the rest of my family under the bus, but there are other people in my family who wouldn't feel that way, but I I certainly would. Um, Would I encourage my child towards heterosexuality? I'm going to be honest, I would. I would try to provide some firm firm but ethical pressure just to make sure. I think... I think all of us, if we're honest, and I think very few of us are honest, I think all, all of us, if we're honest, have had times where we've questioned our own sexuality and have come out the other side saying, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still into ladies. Um, <laughs> and if, if, that's, if we're being honest with ourselves that we've ever gone through that, that kind of time, even if just, just a little bit. And, and I'll be honest, for me, it, it wasn't much. It was just kind of a, just making sure. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But if, me, if any of us have, have ever gone through that, we need to have some compassion with those who, for whom that is not their story and not what's going on with them. Um, let me d- drill down a little bit just to t- kind of get more of a picture then. Let's say we'll stick with the hypothetical. Yes, you you have a son, and your son has come out to you as homosexual. Mm. And as you know, this is America. Your son's making the choices that they're going to make, and they make the choices. And then 
they still believe in Jesus, but they're you know still practicing homosexuality. They, they don't believe that homosexuality is wrong. They think that it comports with biblical teaching. And, you know, I've seen lots of arguments. I kind of don't have a dog in the fight, as you might guess. Um, but they die. I think, I think, side note, I think any atheist or fill-in-the-blank, uh, whatever, whatever uh, deconstructive position you, you, you feel like you've, you've arrived at, <laughs> atheist. Let's just let's just use atheist as a, as a stand-in for right now. Anybody sure. who comes out of uh, Christianity, especially evangelicalism, into atheism of various uh, stripes, yeah. um, you you do have, still have a dog in the fight because this is part of your story. It's part of your past. Whereas in Europe and in certain places like New England and uh, the Pacific Northwest, you're starting to see second and third generation atheists. And for them, Jesus is of just about as, as important in their life as Thor or Zeus. And so you graduated from Mid-American Nazarene, correct? You still yes. have a dog in this fight. I, I mean, it's, it's, at this point, it's becoming much more of an older chihuahua. What? Um, <laughs> maybe a different dog, because like, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly opposed to religion generally, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm going to speak for someone else's interpretation of religion. That's kind of more their fight than mine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I might be an, a general advocate you know, against it generally, but maybe not of the particulars from within it, and that might be more what J.J. was kind of trying to say. Yes. Yeah, so— okay. Sorry about the sidebar. Uh, it's okay. I don't mind hashing the stuff out. I think that you get quality conversations doing that. Um, so, do you? I was closing in on the idea when your hypothetical son passed away as a gay Christian. What? How do you? How? What does your faith tell you are the consequences of that event? What follows? Um. So let's assume that everything I believe about heaven is true. Um, do I believe that, uh, that, that a, a gay person, in the hypothetical, my son, who dies, is that person going to heaven? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it all depends Are you on, a universalist? on the nature. Of, it all, it all it depends on the nature of the rebellion. I guess, I guess we should get that off the table. Are you, you're not a universalist, right? I'm afraid not. Okay. I just I just don't see scriptural warrant for that. I'm going to be honest with you. If if I did have a deconstruction of my faith, I'm going straight to Richard Dawkins style atheist. <laughs> for me, for me, it's that that was my story. My freshman year of college, I had all these questions that weren't getting answered, and the answer I usually got were Christians don't ask questions like that. Questions about the reliability <laughs> of, of scriptures, how we got the scriptures. I've actually heard several of you guys say often that the scriptures have been and um, uh, uh, rewritten over and over and over again, which which is simply isn't true. Every time a Bible society sets down to make a new interpretation, they always go back to the oldest of available manuscripts. It's always a, a, a second generation translation. Um, but though that I didn't know that my freshman year of college, I didn't know that. I have questions of evolution, eth- uh, ethical ethics, morality. They were not getting. Uh, Answered, and I was about two or three weeks away from being an atheist my freshman year of college, until somebody finally decided to give me a copy of the book *The Case for Christ*, which led me down a path of uh, 
these days, I think the case for Christ is, is pretty simplistic, to be honest with you. It's still valuable, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's overly simplistic. But it led me down a path where uh, I now believe it's totally okay to ask these kind of questions, even to deconstruct a little. I've been, de- as I've been reading, I told you guys earlier, I've been reading a lot about prehistory, which has led me to really deconstruct and, and reconstruct my, my interpretation of Genesis over and over again, all the time. It, it's a process that, that never really ends. Um, gosh, I feel like I, this is like a, a bunny trail of a bunny trail of a bunny trail. So somebody <laughs> try to get us back online. Well, I, I, I think that all of, especially when I was a, you know, a, a Christian who tried to really apply some f- philosophical tools to my belief system, you discover that all of your beliefs become a spider web of beliefs that support your overarching, you know, this is what I am. Um, and I think they all interrelate. Like we talked about when I lost my faith, because I think we talked about this years ago on Facebook is when I lost my faith was because I became convinced that the literal interpretation of Genesis was an incorrect interpretation. And that was that was the thread that unraveled the entire sweater for me. Okay, somebody, somebody, if somebody's taking notes, write that down. I would actually like to discuss briefly, at least uh, that that discussion. Let's save that for Patreon, though. Right. Um, kind of getting back to that original question is: uh, Do you ultimately believe that your uh, gay son could go to heaven? Oh, okay. I like the way you worded it that time. Could my gay son go to heaven? Yes. Now. Could, could your gay son live a happy and healthy life? Yes. Uh, practicing homosexuality. Oh yeah, I have. I have family members. I okay. don't have their. Uh, I don't have their permission to throw them under the bus, right, so I right. won't. Um, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus. But but I, they. I let me rephrase that. I don't have their permission to talk about right um, their situation, so I won't uh, so, identify. But I have family members who are in uh, uh, committed monogamous homosexual relationships right now. Gotcha. Um, now, do you believe that that's necessarily a choice that they're making or just kind of more how they're biologically wired? Yes. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you, I don't, I don't, I don't, mix? yeah, I don't, I don't, um, believe anybody wakes up one day and says, I have no dog in this fight absolutely you know which would make you asexual by the way right. if you have no right. pr- prior uh, sexual orientation whatsoever nobody wakes up and says well i am leaning neither way at all so i'm just going to make an arbitrary decision that right. i am now a homosexual never has happened in the history of the world um now if uh, i'm a heterosexual and um I hope this doesn't shock some of my Christian friends who, because I'll share this link later. Uh, I hope this doesn't shock some of my Christian friends, but I have in the past struggled with uh, pornography. And so um, when uh. I, uh, if I'm going to say that um, uh, every time I have an opportunity, so I'm alone, nobody can see me, I know how to de- delete my browser history, I can, do, I can do whatever I want. I can make a choice. So I'm... I'm, I'm in this hypothetical, I'm sitting in front of my computer, and I can make a choice to, to, to choose to look at that website or not. You mentioned that doesn't mean that I chose to be attracted to those women. It doesn't mean that I'm I'm making a choice to to like to see this or that. 
but I do make a choice as to whether to follow through on it. So do I think homosexuals, as for that matter, heterosexuals, uh, that might uh, depend on how you're defining Yeah. Do I think they're making choices? Yes. I think they're making choices. You can, do I think that, that, that the lifestyle, that, that the entire way they're wired is a choice? I'm afraid I don't buy into that. And right. I don't see any scriptural foundation for that either, at least not scriptural foundation to assert that that's true. And I think that can kind of come down to a definition, whether you're defining it as, you know, an attraction or, uh, you know, what kind of relationships you're, you're having. Um, and if you're, you're kind of right, you know, you're, uh, if you're not choosing who you're attracted to, you are choosing who you're, you know, being in a relationship with. So that's, that's fair enough. Uh, I can, I can kind of get on board with that. Um, man, you said several things that I wanted. It'll go two different directions. Yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you, cause you mentioned, um, I'm going to save the struggled with pornography uh, a little bit later. Cause I had a different direction. Um, now do you believe that it would be detrimental for somebody to, if they are wired such that they are more uh, on the homosexual end of the spectrum, you know, by a long shot than the straight end, they're not in the middle, they're not bisexual, they're very homosexual. Do you think it's detrimental for them to pursue relationships accordingly, or should they be celibate? It would be hard for me to tell them what they what they should do. Okay. Um, I the I, once again, if somebody's, I, I'm approaching this as in my, the hypothetical. So right. I'm, 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 I'm a pastor right. and somebody comes to me and seeks my advice. So I'm already assuming that they are, are coming from a more or less conservative Christian position. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would advise, I'll be honest with you. I would advise that person who's already knows where I'm coming from and is seeking my advice. I would advise them to pursue celibacy um, I would not advise recon. What, what's the term for that? The uh, the the oh, uh, conversion, pray the gay away con camps. Conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. Right. I I think I've read enough about conversion therapy that I think it's questionable. Would be the absolute best thing I could say about it. Now, um, I wouldn't advise that. Do you think it's possible that that person could potentially be happier in a homosexual relationship than single? Oh, I have no reason to doubt that. Okay, so if if we've kind of gotten that far, um, you know, we're talking about the person is more wired to be, you know, attracted towards person of the same sex than the opposite sex, and you know, it's maybe actually beneficial for them to be in relationships that are, you know, conducive with that that, um, you know, that that wiring that they they're such that they're not attracted to you know, the opposite sex. So that might not be as happy of a relationship uh, because they're not attracted. Maybe they don't want to be single. They have no desire to be uh, single or celibate and they, they, they want to have a relationship. If that's beneficial. Now, if we're going to talk about, because you mentioned this earlier too, you said, you know, some people who are homosexual and they're in happy, committed, monogamous relationships. Are you familiar with, because most of us are fairly familiar with you know, um, somebody's sexual orientation, right? You've got different uh, orientations where you can either be attracted to the opposite gender or both genders, or um, you're not really attracted to gender necessarily, or, you know, there's all different sorts of uh, attractions on, right, on that spectrum. Are you familiar with sociosexuality or sociosexual orientation? It's a little bit different. Have you heard of that term before? 
I'm afraid I have not. Okay, so this concept is similar, except that instead of it being in regards to who you're attracted to, it's more in regards to how many people you're attracted to or how restrictive or unrestrictive your attraction is. Um, So at one end of that spectrum would be somebody who's, you know, on the very restrictive end, they're, they're not going to be maybe as sexually attracted to people until there's a close, you know, like a close emotional bond. They don't tend to open up sexually or have much of an attraction to people very quickly. It tends to take longer and they tend to have that fewer times and for fewer people. Now, on the opposite end of that spectrum, you've got, you know, the more unrestrictive end where, you know, someone is very attracted to lots of different people. Um, and, you know, it's it happens a lot sooner. Uh, they may not attach so much emotional connection to sexual attraction. Um, so that that's a it's a different kind of orientation, but it's it's still a recognized orientation than psychology. Um, so if we've already kind of established that somebody who is wired to be homosexual could potentially be happier and healthier in relationships that are according to, you know, how they're wired. How do you feel about the concept of somebody who isn't wired maybe where they're very happy in a monogamous relationship? Uh, That feels very constrictive for them. And it's just, uh, they struggle with it a lot um, where they might be happier with more open relationships or multiple relationships. Well, if if you're asking whether I think they should pursue those um, those lifestyle choices, and once again, please correct me if I've crossed a politically correct sure. boundary, yeah, yeah, boundary whether it's choice or not. But I mean, no, I, I, I mean, if if I'm going to su- subscribe to biblical morality, I, I honestly, I, I can't, I can't find a position to endorse that kind of lifestyle. But I also am, am going to fall back on the same thing I've said uh, on, on previous topics here tonight, and that is, you know, this is America, right. the and, and, uh, and and I'm, you know, everybody is allowed to, to follow their own path. One of the things I think all of us can agree on is the concept of consent and how important consent right. is. Um, and so, if like I I, I can't I, I don't know all your guys' relationship story. I, I kind of know some of, of JJ's background just uh, from um, conversing for the last decade online. I don't know your guys' situation, but if if one of you guys were in a, uh, a legal committed uh, marriage and the two of you also decided, hey, you know, um, we're going to, w- 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 you know, each of us are allowed, if, if it was a situation where the husband... Uh, dictated that I can do what I want, but you can't. Well, obviously, obviously that's a yeah. power yeah. problem. But, but if, if, uh, if you guys were in a, a, a legal, healthy marriage and also on the side, you agree with consent that you can also do other things, that's not my business. It's not my uh, place to, to interfere or... So I, I kind of get that. I get the, you know, the... Uh, live and let live mentality, the libertarian, you know, everybody kind of has. If you can do that, why can't God? Yeah. Uh, elaborate. Are there going, so I identify as polyamorous mm-hmm. and um, I don't live the, you know, the monogamous Christian lifestyle that I was raised in. Um, 
it is perfectly, it seems to me, perfectly cogent for you to say, like, look, this is what I believe is good, but I am not going to punish you for this. I feel like that your God would do differently. And in all fairness, you may just, you know, say God can do what God wants. But it, like, I just, I feel like even God should do things for reasons. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective. I um, I think a lot of it's going to come down to uh, we're going to have a, a fundamentally different understanding about who God is, what God is, and his level of worthiness. Yeah, um, I, I'm an atheist, so I don't if, think if you, you can create, actually talk if about you create a God. The world, I mean, if you create the world and you have access to all power, if such a being really did exist, then his authority is going to be limited really by him, his himself and and um uh, it, it far be it from any of us to to tell him what he he can or can't do with his own creation um i am not god and i behave accordingly and not only that but as a as a 21st century american i uh, I, I find a certain level of virtue in allowing each person to make up their own mind on, on, on decisions like that. And I honestly, I don't personally feel any problem acknowledging that God is coming from a different position. He is not a 21st century American. And if he, re- if he exists, and if he exists as I believe he exists, as an all-powerful creator of the universe, then m- m- any any limitations you or I decide to place on on what he should or shouldn't do are were irrelevant. And one could make the argument that God is currently allowing these things to happen, so all Christians should as well. Right. Indeed. It's more godly to to not impose on behaviors. I I have no problem with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> once, I mean, I, I hate to 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 be to to uh, ride the exact same horse uh, every time, but yeah. I have no problem with that position. I think one of the things I think you guys are fearing, and I, I kind of fear it too, is a society in which any one religious group or any collection of religious groups, because let's be honest, if, if the evangelical church ever de- uh, uh, amassed political power, it wouldn't be one church. It would have to be like 40. <laughs> um, the the if if any one group or any collection of similar groups were ever to uh, uh, attain absolute power or near absolute political power, that would be uh, that would not be a good situation. Yeah, I um, think that I think that there are plenty a sizable minority at least of evangelicals in this country will use democracy as a ladder to get to theocracy and then happily throw that I ladder think that's away. Maybe not my fear so much is it's not that I fear that you know a, a theocracy theocracy necessarily it's really more the religious influence on society that well and maybe it's because that's what's affected me personally but that's what i see affects mm-hmm. most people and in my opinion it's it's you know uh the most detrimental uh to people's overall happiness where you just have a lot of religious influence over sexuality and relationships in general that we make a lot of assumptions based on that ideology and i don't necessarily think that that's maybe the healthiest way to go about sex and relationships in a way it kind of shapes society and society's norms yeah Yeah. yep it's harmful uh i think you know that's one of the reasons why i asked the the purity culture question because 
I know tons of people, uh, and myself included, that uh, felt like lines had to be drawn and really hard lines. And it caused me and my wife a lot of grief um, to have such rigid views. And, uh, I mean, there were so many illustrations that uh, preachers or evangelists would use um, that were just absolutely, uh, they, would, they would fill people with shame. They would fill a, a young person with shame. And, and I got to admit, for me, the process worked out. And uh, there's probably a, a, a Latin term for this. But, um, you know, <laughs> my, my perspective is, 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 uh, is going to be a little bit more positive towards that purity culture, even though I've already acknowledged some, some uh, right. dangers in it. Uh, my perspective on it is going to be positive because it, it all ended well, in the right from- place for me. Uh, I, I ended up in, in, a, in a pretty amazing marriage to a pretty amazing young woman. I, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just uh, super um, grateful that I ended up with a, an evangelical, a beautiful evangelical woman who's totally into me, and both of us love the Chiefs. She's from the <laughs> Philippines and loves the Chiefs, and neither of us well, love even, Trump. You kind of mentioned earlier, kind of on that purity culture, um, you had mentioned that you'd struggled with pornography. Um, as somebody oh, yeah. who's come from, you know, a very conservative, fundamentalist, um, evangelical uh, background, um, at one point, I had a real struggle with uh, sex and what I considered sex addiction and pornography, although I didn't, I wasn't out having sex because I was uh, far too repressed to actually act on it. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it did, you can even ask Sarah, <laughs> it's done a lot of damage to me that having come out of it and kind of reforming a lot of my thinking around sexuality and being more sex positive and uh, being more accepting of uh, sexuality in general, including pornography. Interestingly, um, my struggle with pornography kind of faded with my repression of sexuality, where I think that the repression was actually Mm. causing that unhealthy fixation on sex and pornography where now that I'm not trying to repress that aspect of my life, I don't have that unhealthy fixation on it anymore. Um, I've actually con- I've actually considered uh, a lot of, of, of what what you mm-hmm. just talked about. I've actually considered that before because I I don't hear non Christians use terms like I struggle Bingo. with pornography. Well, it's I like you don't, don't hear, hear non anorexic people talking about struggling with, you know, eating as much yeah. as I mean, it, if you're if you have an un <laughs> well, I, I I talk about struggling with eating <laughs> right. from the other end of the, of but the you perspective. Don't, like you, I mean, that, like a healthy amount of eating is something that everybody kind of takes for granted. We just all eat because we need to eat. We even enjoy eating. Um, but to somebody who's got an unhealthy repression of their hunger um, through a you know a, a psychological problem that they have, anorexia. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna consider that a struggle where they're constantly fixated on food. Well, and part of part of the problem I think is, and um, I'm, I'm once again I'm laying all my cards on the table. I am coming from this from the evangelical mm-hmm. perspective. One of the one of the the things I think we preachers need to really recapture is the is a few ideas like, for instance, that sex is good and healthy. Sex drive is good and healthy. And 
at, at least heterosexual, uh, homosexuality, we, we've t- dipped into that. And I don't really have any good answers for that. Oddly but at least for those seem, of us I want who to push have, back on that a bit. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Oh, wait, let, let me finish my thought real quick. Yes, that, please do. That, <laughs> Just that stick sex, a pin in there. Yeah, sex is good and that um, sex drives are good. And I actually, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to go against something I, I heard on one of the previous uh, podcasts. I actually think that, that encouraging people to get married when they're younger, not really young, like 24-ish, uh, getting married when they're younger and uh, taking the time to find a good match, but then taking that leap of faith, investing in that other person, really investing in that relationship and enjoying each other sexually. I mean, even the Song of Solomon Proverbs and Psalms are full of that kind of language, the uh, 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 delight in the wife of your youth kind of kind of language. All right. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. When you're talking about the, you, you were giving examples like sex is good and sexual activity is good. It made me think of like I have friends that are aces. What's that? Asexuals? Have, yes. Okay. And in those, their case... It would not be good for them. It would cause them mental right. suffering to participate in in the, that kind of sexual activity. And then I thought, like, if we're talking about like people who identify as people who are gay, to make them either choose to be celibate or choose to be in a heterosexual relationship would be mentally would cause mental suffering. Yeah, and. Like there, there is a price to pay for this, this kind of this this agreement where either you suffer mentally, or you will be punished eternally for something um, that yeah. is that is entirely out of your control. Like I, I, it may it, it may be in your control to not act on your your gayness, not to, you know to not actually participate. In behaviors that are homosexual, but the mental suffering is there before right. that. Yeah, and I don't have any easy answers. Uh, I mean, the the if there were easy answers, we wouldn't have to have this podcast, well, right? I mean, to, to me, the answers <laughs> so, aren't that hard. Like sexuality and relationships is just not a one size fits all. I think you can build relationships and uh, you know sexual structures that kind of fit who you are and you can do so ethically and honestly. The, the problem doesn't can, seem to be the sex. It seems to be right, the prescription. Exactly. I can. Right. Mm. <laughs> how am I trying to word this? Go um, ahead. What if ahead. the tables were turned? What if someone told you to be celibate? I mean, how would that feel when you feel like you were hiding a part of yourself? Um, yeah, probably. I'll be honest with you there. And, and I think that's part of the problem that the Catholic church has run into. And I'm not going to throw my Catholic brothers and sisters under the bus on this one, but um, if you watch the movie Spotlight, in the movie Spotlight, um, one of the, 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 uh, the journalists interviews a, an expert, and the expert says that according to his statistical analysis that as many as 6% of, of uh, priests, at least in the greater Boston area, were, were um, pedophile yeah. offenders. And they just did uh, some some simple math, and it, six percent times the number of priests, and they were just flabbergasted yeah. that it, it potentially could be mm-hmm. thousands. Now, how many of those priests, if they weren't forced to be celibate, uh, how many of of, of um, 
of those priests might not have found themselves in that position if they had a a healthier outlet. Exactly. Correct. And that, but and, you so, know, so and that to me, just kind of getting back to. It's your, weird because I oh go ahead oh and I was just going to say the getting back to your influences. Um, what I often encounter when talking with Christians is, I'll ask someone what they believe the Bible says about something. And sometimes if I first ask what they think about something, sometimes I actually get a different answer than if I were to ask what they think the Bible teaches, um, which is interesting. But that's why I kind of tend to steer more of my questions, not so much on what do you think God wants or what do you think the Bible wants, but really I'm more interested in like kind of what your take is and not just in the sense of like what should be legal, but more what what would you champion as, uh, you know, uh, a highest standard of, you know, how, what, how, how should we approach sexuality and relationships? What would you champion to your child? Um, and what harms are you taking into consideration and what benefits are you taking into consideration? And not just, you know, does this comport with my best understanding of the scripture, but do I also have, you know, are you evaluating that on any sort of consequentialist standard or is it purely just what the Bible says? Um, especially if we're talking about my hypothetical child, I, it would probably have to be all of the above. I would, I, I don't want to be that parent from some, you know, eighties dance movie that it's just, you know, whatever, whatever Leviticus says right. and that's it. <laughs> um, the, I, I, I would want to have a more well-rounded, uh, analysis and, and actually, I don't know. How, how do you guys, your daughters are, get are lipstick on somewhere do you, it doesn't belong. Get the rocks out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where were you going uh, with yeah. that? Nobody puts a baby in a corner, et cetera, et cetera. The, uh, what's your guys' relationship? And feel free not to answer, but what's your guys' relationship with your parents and are all your parents still Christians? So, I'm, I mean, I'm fairly open with that. My uh, Growing up, I, when I left home and went out, started working, you know, I, I kind of secretly in the closet left religion. Um, and I discovered that mm -hmm. simultaneously, my brother in college had done the same thing in secret. And together, we both found out that my dad, who, because my parents are separated, um, my dad had actually secretly gone through that same process as well, all individually. Um, but simultaneously, we kind of found each other on the other side. Now, my mom, she went from, you know, very, very conservative uh, evangelical. She put herself through uh, seminary. Uh, she's got a lot of, of theological education, and she's actually gotten far more liberal in her beliefs. Um, uh, so she's, mm. she's stepped very far back from the evangelical church, similar to Elias, which he hasn't really talked about here, but yeah. um, they're fairly more aligned than uh, I ever would have thought would have happened. Um, but yeah, they've all kind of stepped away, but I, I feel like from my perspective, I stepped away from it first, um, that I was aware of and the furthest because I wasn't aware of anybody else doing it. And, and I want to hear from everybody else too, but um, what I'm trying to get at is, is really the, at the heart of this question isn't necessarily what if my child's gay. The, the broader question is what if my child rejects my uh, uh, right. worldview of, you know, about what is right and wrong, what's ethical, what's not, or about whether even if, the, if there's a God. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. If if my child were to disagree with me about that stuff, I would still have them over to eat fried chicken mm -hmm. on right, Sunday right. afternoons. 
it, it, it would not change anything there. It would probably affect, or it definitely affect my prayer life and the things I worry about. But would it affect my relationship with my kid? Gosh, I, mean, I, hope I can not. I can tell you, my mom never alienated me. However, when she found Good. out that I was no longer Christian or no longer believed, I mean, she cried. Um, I mean, she was heartbroken. So, I mean, I I I know that it broke her heart to find that out, and I part of me didn't want her to know because of that. But part of me, I have the I I I. I for integrity's sake, I had to be honest. Um, you know, I can't just hide, uh, you know, mm. who I am and, and lie about who I am uh, to anybody uh, just that's, because I, I value that that truth. Yeah, that's a it's an awful feeling to hide yourself, you know, to not be your true, honest self. That's kind of the place I'm at right now in life. I feel like, uh, you know, I was in a, I've, you know, for the last eight years, I've been a evangelical Christian since I was uh, 13. This is my 33rd year of life. You're and, too young. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like the last eight years of my life, I'm just now starting to deprogram from a cult. And um, I'm not saying that all Christianity falls in that category, but uh, here's an interesting take that I want to ask about. And uh, because JJ brought it up and I thought it was an interesting place to go because he talked about the, you know, what about asexuality? And, uh, you know, I would totally agree with a, a with JJ. And I would say even further, I think that what we have in um, the evangelical church is a unhealthy worship of marriage. We have like a, a form of idolatry. And uh, because the the even singles in the church um, are devalued, and uh, I mean especially here in the South, and it, that causes all kinds of new problems where uh, people who are passionate about their faith uh, maybe can't get into a form of leadership because they are single. And they're not married. Which and is entirely this... ironic because Paul spells out in quite some detail that not only is it there a, a place for asexuals or s those who are celibate by choice, or I guess we can even throw out the celibates not by choice, but you know they stormed the Capitol, so I really don't want to <laughs> champion them right now. And then... Um, that Paul makes the, the argument that there's absolutely a place for them in the church, and furthermore, he actually encourages it. He said, hey, if you are in a marriage, don't seek to leave the marriage. If you're not in a marriage, why don't you check out not being in a marriage? Because you can travel more, you can serve the Lord more, you could go to more places, you can have more relationships, you can have a broader range of, of opportunities, you ha don't have to... Uh, depend on people quite as much, and other people don't have to depend on you as much. How scriptural do you think the Quiverful I mean, movement is? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not familiar with that movement, but I think I can. I, I think just by the name, I can tell you. What we it got is. some of those <laughs> back where I used is, to is go. It's to basically, church. the idea that you should have as many children yes. as possible. Yep. Yeah, I'm not into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then again, if 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 th then again, if if uh, 
if a, if if people if if a, a certain family chooses to have a large family for reasons that they all they agree that they that's what they want to do, I I don't want to badmouth them either. I, I'm not coming from the position of you know there's not enough resources because with modern agricultural technology there there are enough resources if we choose to divvy them out well. Um, there's no reason why we can't feed the whole world. Yet another podcast we can talk about mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, so I, I, I'm not one of those people that looks at a family with seven kids and say, ah, oh, you're running the world. That, on the other hand, I wouldn't look at a Christian family with only one kid or Gretchen and I's situation right now with no kids and, and say, oh, you're, you're doing something wrong. I, I, I would definitely not, not go that route. Gotcha. Hmm. So I, I want to bring up a scripture real quick. Uh, and I know you'll probably think this is grossly misinterpreted, but I don't know. I've spent a lot of time in the Bible, and uh, I've spent a lot of time listening to scholarship on these subjects. But Matthew, I believe it's 22, 23, 22, 30. And they, they asked Jesus some kind of weird-ass question about, you know, when such and such dies in the afterlife, um, when when his wife dies, you know, will will she still be his wife? Or because of the customs of uh, essentially, if one dude dies, his younger brother inherits his wife, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially the, that's what the question that was asked to Jesus. And Jesus says in that scripture. Uh, they will For in not the marry. resurrection, they neither yeah. marry nor are given in marriage, but marriage. are like the angels in heaven. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that does, that basically says okay. There's most people interpret that as there's no sex in heaven. Um, I kind of think I think that might be debatable uh, because <laughs> I debate it. Uh, there's. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I could get the. Past the uh, well, you guys part. wouldn't. You guys wouldn't believe that. Yeah, right. Heaven, so it would. But, under, uh, but this is what I'm getting them. at. Um. In my in my view of Christianity, as far as it goes now, is what's really being talked about there is I, I don't even know if it'd be a literal resurrection of the dead, but maybe a resurrection um, in a in a different kind of spiritual ideology, and uh, you know I think that could be an argument for polyamory in the New Testament. However, I don't subscribe to polyamory whatsoever. I don't. Uh, that but that's completely mm. out of a personal conviction, and um, I'm very happy with my wife and my monogamous monogamous relationship with her. However, I don't perceive I don't know how to perceive anyone else's reality, and so I literally can't like I don't think it's okay for me to speak on really anything. Well, see, I I I think that it's uh, not something that's for everybody. I think that. Again, you kind of have to structure your relationships for how you're wired and what makes you happy. So, you know, if if what you really, if what makes you happy is a monogamous relationship, I think that's totally something you should you should pursue. If you don't feel happy in that structure, I think that's not something you should pursue. I don't see why we should prescribe a, a one size fits all for everybody when not everybody's exactly. the same. Correct. Just like sexuality. Right. I'm sure Will would say that the reason we would prescribe that at all is because that's what God prescribed. And see, that's where, um, of course, he's 
Well, not only that, I would, I would argue there are, there are advantages. Like, for instance, never am I going to have somebody knock on the door and say, surprise, I'm your son. Because I know that that's physically impossible. Well, it's also physically impossible um, if you're infertile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which actually I might be. My my wife's worried uh, about that now. So, uh, I, I, if you're praying, so I basically I'm talking to Elias. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a praying person, you might throw that out there. We're we're uh, considering adoption, but my wife is leaning much more towards uh, in vitro because she wants um, uh, a natural which- child. I'm leaning much more towards adoption because I feel like that's my my only horse in the game as a pro-lifer. Uh, if if I actually practice, put my yeah, money where my mouth is, preach. yeah, that's the only way as a male that I could ever I, do I, that is to actually. I feel adopt. like there's practicalities and impracticalities on either side. Um, you know, like if you have more than a two-parent household, you know, you have more people for yeah you know, to raise a child. So. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be advantages. And I, and I'll admit I came from, I came from an extraordinarily healthy monogamous marriage produced me and my brother or my brother. Mine too. Um, and so that, that's part of what, what influences me, not just biblical morality, but also my own personal I haven't talked about my background yet, but my background, like my parents are still together. They've been together for 40 years. They have been solid church-going people. My mother is a pastor of a Nazarene church. I did not know that. Uh, she's my Facebook friend, but I, I never realized she was a, she was actually yes, a pastor. Yes, she is the pastor here in town. Neat. Um, I know that they have, well, they have a largely yeah, typical ahead. relationship. I don't know that that necessarily has that big of an influence on, you know, you. <laughs> it does for me. I, I can't speak for everybody on that, and I don't have the the credentials to to say that that's the case for everybody but i can i can say well, for me they, it led, does, by, they led by example basically very much so and still do Although, to this day i mean i can think of a lot of things that my parents would love to take credit for that i don't necessarily know if it was because they modeled that for me or if it was just my natural you know um my natural tendencies uh, that i tended to follow certain personality traits mm-hmm. like you know, I get arguing from my mom. She she's very analytical. Um, I tend to be more open minded and and more of a hippie, and I get that from my dad. Um, I mean, I have certain personality traits that I get from my my grandparents. Uh, those things don't necessarily always seem to be you know just them modeling it. Um, it it almost feels that I didn't have that big of a choice in the matter. Um, and actually, I've heard some really convincing talks that. Um, parents actually have far less influence than they than they realize they do especially by the time somebody becomes an adult um because i've i've seen far too many examples of people with you know uh parents of a certain relationship that was very healthy and they just totally went a different direction than their parents and they're healthy in a very different type of relationship than their parents had right and and let me throw out something else my parents uh have been 100% and if I were to go hyperbolically, 200% supportive of my choice to marry mm-hmm. Gretchen. If this were 30 years ago, maybe not, because my, my wife is a person of color. Um, I have actually been really, really pleasantly surprised that none of my relations on either side of my family, including some people who will argue 
that Dominion voting machines uh, were run by mm -hmm. Venezuelan dictators that have been dead for 12 years, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even those people still are super happy for me and have no problems with me marrying an Asian woman. Uh, probably not the case 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. Maybe just so that you're kind of um, keen on it too. Um, I have been told before uh, that maybe the reason why I'm not monogamous is that my parents are divorced. Um, that's actually kind of insulting because uh, they... Which would probably also explain uh, some of what you've been saying for the last couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would be insulted right. by that too. I would be insulted by that too. And I'm certainly not going to say that. Now, if I were a psychologist actually doing a scientific study and actually knew what the heck I was doing, I might venture that guess if I were willing to study it and willing to admit that I'm wrong if the evidence doesn't Which, lead that way. But since none of that describes right. me, I wouldn't dare suggest and that. Kind of you. my experience with psychologists, um, uh, JJ and I mutually know one, uh, uh, Dr. Daryl Ray, who's given a talk on um, like the, I think it's the 50-0-50 rule. I don't remember. Um, but he talks kind of about that, how, how little influence uh parents actually have <laughs> i feel like and you and i have had this conversation before but i feel like a little bit maybe the non-monogamous aspect might have you might have leaned more into it due to repression when you right. were younger i think maybe um, a, a, that probably influenced how hard i leaned into it yeah uh, we met when he was still like in the thick of being super repressed so it was a very interesting beginning of a relationship and for me can, oh go ahead go no, no. Actually, I, I want to hear your voice, Sarah. I, I appreciate having feet. No, yeah. one of the, I was telling the guys before we started the, the podcast uh, that I love having uh, a variety of voices. And one of the things that's been missing from this podcast has been female voices. So I don't want to interrupt you. At oh, all. no. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I was going to go into a little bit of my upbringing. So I grew up in. Uh, I mean, I was raised in Ohio. Ohio's kind of liberal when it comes to religion my family's kind of like figure it out my mom went to multiple different types of churches um pentecostal christian you name it um she's a christian but more so she just believes in god she doesn't go to church or anything like that so i kind of grew up in that environment of find your own path find your own way um which was i think is really nice and liberating because i could figure it out on my own um i'm agnostic atheist so that's where I landed, but my siblings and stuff, they all have different views. Cool. Uh, can I ask you guys, uh, that sound, oh, by the way, that sounded really passive aggressive and wasn't meant to be. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no. Um, can I ask you guys a question? Because I'm actually intrigued at this point. Sure. The, um, as somebody who comes, who's in a, in a, a very healthy, uh, gosh, I hope healthy, uh, monogamous no, that's marriage relationship. Not insulting How does it work for you guys to not be in a monogamous marriage? I don't necessarily need mechanics, <laughs> but, but, but. You sure? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean. You can go watch that game at Twister. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch the Super Bowl again. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that was passive aggressive. <laughs> hey man, hey, I'm I'm with you too. I I was a porn addict for a long, yeah, long time. I, I was too but until I no longer tried to restrict myself, and now it's just like ah, I can people, take it or leave. Sort of like with alcohol, people you know? always 
it's a lot easier yeah. to yeah, deal with. <laughs> you don't have that fixation when you're not obsessed People with it. People always want what they can't have. So when right. someone is being told, no, it's wrong, don't do this, they want to do it even more. It's like a, a taboo syndrome. Correct. Right. I, and it might also be how we're wired, because when I hear, you, you shouldn't do this, my, and I think I've always been wired this way, my um, inclination isn't to try to rebel against that, it's to figure out why. Right. Mm-hmm. Why shan't I do this or that? Yeah. And if there's a good reason, all right, let's not do that. Yeah, I'm the same way. I think for myself, I'm probably more wired to be on the uh, soci- socially unrestricted end of that sociosexual orientation scale that I was kind of talking about earlier. Um, Sarah's probably more on the, the restricted end than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think I'm kind of at a point now where I, I got past that initial, like, it's it's similar to the transition from Christian to atheist, where you have that angry atheist phase where you're just out yeah. to, you know, fight every Christian. Um, and then you kind of calm down and relax and and uh, the pendulum balances and, and you level out a little bit. Um, I think I've kind of gotten past that initial swing, you know, where I, I would say I was probably more sexually repressive than most people. In fact, I'm certain I've had far less sexual partners than most people monogamous people that I know. Um, so I had a pretty hard catapult out of that as I left religion and then realized I wasn't, you know, restricted by all of those rules. But as I kind of balanced out, I don't feel that necessarily I have a drive to just go out and date everybody. However, I very strongly feel that it's entirely possible to make more than one meaningful relationship simultaneously. And the idea that I could potentially restrict, you know, somebody that I care about from forming those with other people, um, I very much disagree with that because I, I've experienced it myself. I've had more than one relationship at the same time, and those relationships were very unique and um, meaningful in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever want to restrict that from somebody that I'm in a relationship with, regardless of what I'm interested in. If I'm only interested in just dating the one person or not really dating, or if I want to date more people, kind of regardless of that, I still kind of have it as a value that I don't want to restrict other people from that as well. I, I guess it's just Sarah? kind of that uh, that general respect for autonomy. Yeah. Um, for me, a lot of what he said is true. Um, for me, I classify as, well, I'm not classified. That's that's just what I am. I'm demisexual. So I am on the ace spectrum. So the asexual spectrum, I don't, um, I'm not into hookup culture or anything like that. It takes me a really long time to form sexual attraction to people, um, without being bonded to them, like having a close connection to them. Um, so for me, I, I, I'm tricky. So Thomas, he, he classifies more polyamorous by nature. Me, I'm more like monogamous by nature, just because for me, it's hard to actually form connections with people, um, that I would want to pursue. So would you describe yourself more as a non-jealous monogamous that, um, that, that you don't want to restrict your partner, but, f- uh, generally speaking, you tend to uh, uh, limit yourself to him? Um, no, I actually am practicing polyamory as well. I'm currently dating someone in addition to him, um, but I I could easily go back to being monogamous without uh, thinking anything of it 
I can go either one way or the other. But in my opinion, if Thomas is practicing it, I want to practice it too. Um, and then as far as jealousy goes, it's natural. Everyone experiences jealousy. It's just how they uh, handle it. You guys it. read my mind because yeah. I was going to ask you if, if either of you experience unwelcome jealousy. Like, like you know, despite your um, philosophical, uh, uh, you, you know, things you absolutely want to believe that some you still feel jealous anyway. I think for me, earlier on when I first uh, kind of, you know, opened up, if you will, um, into non-monogamy, I struggled with that a lot more. Uh, you know, I, I was very much insecure and very threatened by other people and afraid that, you know, someone else was just going to be bigger and better and, and, you know, all the things that I can't be and would steal away all my partners. Um, yeah. Cause I had a lot more in the beginning. <laughs> oh yeah. Women always have way more <laughs> attention in the dating world than men do. So it um, took me a couple of years to get used to that reality. Yeah. <laughs> but I think over time, just kind of being subjected to it, I got used to it. And at some point it just didn't become as big of a deal, but I've also discovered that it's person specific. So, um, with Sarah, because I've experienced her dating other people and never leaving me, um, it's just not as threatening. Like I'm not as scared because I'm more secure in that relationship. However, somebody else, if, you know, if maybe they didn't already identify as, as Polly and they weren't, you know, very much of that mindset. And I feel like they could just get, you know, uh, swept away by somebody else into a monogamous relationship and just drop me, that can actually make me feel more uh, threatened and more scared. So I, I can experience that jealousy all over again. Yeah, that's where the fear comes into play um, because monogamy is such a society, society how do I say Societal. <laughs> yeah, societal thing. Like it's a standard. Um I've had more luck meeting and dating people who are monogamous, even though I'm married. Um, and that tends to be an issue because then that's constantly in the back of my head is they're going to find someone who's monogamous and leave me for that person because it's easier and society actually accepts it. And I would be worried if, if I were in your shoes that if you're dating people who they themselves identify as monogamous, right. then, then you're limiting unintentionally, you're limiting the the ceiling of their their relationship because they would want i would assume that the for the relationship to progress and if right. you have no intention of leaving thomas then there's there's just a ceiling about how far that relationship can progress i think that's for me something that i kind of seek out people who are more of the mindset that i already have they're not looking for the relationship escalator um you know they they in fact i've even dated you know people who are already in um, uh, a, a relationship that they were engaged. So, mm -hmm. um, there was certainly not any kind of an expectation that they were going to break up with anybody for me. And I kind of liked that cause it was, you know, I, I knew where I stood and we kind of had similar yeah. uh, goals. I like the independence of that. I like, I liked the concept of, you know, them having their own life and being able to do their own things. And I see them when, when it, everything aligns. Um, but for me, unfortunately, People who are polyamorous, the pool is very, very small, and me being demisexual makes it even harder. <laughs> I did a, I actually did an interview with somebody from Vice a few years ago on uh, what it's like being a polyamorous person on dating sites, and uh, you know they they talked to several people. Uh, there's it's actually a pretty funny article because you can see like screen captures of people's messages um, from conversations they've had online, and I can't tell you how many times 
and as a guy, you know, just like you were talking about it, uh, not having a lot of luck in the dating world, I didn't either. Um, probably more due to my personality than anything, just because I was so reserved. Timid. And, right. Um, once I kind of got past I that. I actually had the opposite problem. I was too intense. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I uh, and not intense, like dangerous, just uh, nothing I do is casual. Right. <laughs> I get into football, politics, religion. Almost like uh, fixated on peanut, it. Peanut butter fudge. Yeah. Whatever I get into, it's, it's intense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you how much smaller the dating pool is whenever you say, you know, if, and I put it out there up front that I'm non-monogamous. But if you didn't catch that and you start having a conversation with me, people disappear very quickly mm, when they hear that. Yeah. And unfortunately, from a female perspective, it becomes super sexualized and right. fetishized. So and if, if I were a female and, I, and a guy was saying non-monogamous, I'm afraid, I, well, you know, saying how I'd behave as a female, you know, is, is ridiculous, but I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Um, I, I think I would worry that that guy isn't really poly. He just wants to get around. That's common. Yeah, it's very, very common. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly common. I would be thrilled to see someone have polyamorous in their bio and actually be into them. Um, <laughs> it, it's some of those me and my wife are poly but we have an arrangement where we don't talk about it and you can't talk to her yeah 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 you can't bring it up with her or or the infamous uh, uh unicorn hunters yeah where they're looking we, for a girl a, to a third a, person that's yeah. bisexual to be when i started out being poly we did have a a it was just kind of a uh don't ask don't tell policy yeah in an open relationship mm. Yeah, even even in, from my worldview, that sounds unhealthy. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm currently in a dynamic like that, and I don't personally like it. But unfortunately, see, I I think I think we I think we can all uh, even if we can't we're we're not we're not going to leave this this podcast with you guys coming forward for an altar call, and I'm not <laughs> going to I'm not going to jump on to a poly dating site. It's not going to no, happen. No, right. So we're we're not going to come to the exact same place, but there's certain things we can all agree on, like consent Absolutely. is a big, oh, for big sure. deal. I think we can also agree on this one. If you're going to be poly or monogamous or fill in the blank, open and, uh, openness and honesty about it is going to always be a preferable oh, to oh, yeah. hidden cloak and daggers kind of uh, way of handling. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I mean, as somebody who's never really dealt with non-heterosexuality because i'm just not um that's something i don't identify with very well but i do identify with just not being wired for really only having interest in one person only ever um so i can kind of get where people are coming from for just not being wired for a certain relationship structure um whereas i i'm excited like once i was not single anymore that thrilled me because that <laughs> right. meant i didn't have to do the dating game I didn't have to go out and fail to be clear, over and over and over again. I don't like that either. And I can, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a, well, I'm not a big fan of the dating game. I And honestly, the vast majority of it is a lot of crashing and burning and getting ghosted and bad experiences. But occasionally, you do make a connection with somebody that's meaningful, and I really value that. Yeah. Well, I actually met somebody who will remain nameless because, once again, I do not have their, sure. their permission sure. to. But w w she and I went on a couple dates. We met on 
gosh, probably Christian mingle, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, uh, I, I was part of several of those. Um, and we had a few dates and there was no chemistry. Right. But she was very intelligent. And we stayed more or less. We're not great friends, but we, we stay up on, on Facebook. I met Gretchen. She met her husband. And we're both super happy. And the day she announced that she got engaged, I was one of the happiest people for her on Facebook. Yeah. Right up there with her parents. I was so happy for her that she was able to find someone. Because that I'll tell you one thing. the The worst part of the dating game wasn't being ghosted or having so much unsuccess. The worst part of the dating game is when they like you and you don't like right. them. That's far worse. Yeah, that's- so much worse. And I didn't even know that until I was like 28, 29. Yeah. I hadn't experienced that yet. Uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. I just feel like dating in general is exhausting. And dating oh, yeah. apps are even more exhausting. It can be. But I think... It, yeah, dating apps are a tool and an imperfect one. Yeah, for sure. But I, I see what you were saying earlier. Like once you got in a relationship, you were kind of thrilled and it was like a weight off your shoulders, basically. Because I felt that way. And, and she's my And she's my best friend. Right. I mean, we... It, it's it everything works so you know my attitude towards monogamy is always going to be colored positively uh based on that and even when we go through some of our struggles and we have struggles partly because we come from different cultures mm-hmm. when we go through the struggles i would still struggle i would still prefer to struggle with her than to not struggle without her right right i i i think there's great things in monogamy and i think there's great things about polyamory like i love just I mean, polyam- being polyamorous really opened my eyes to just different relationship dynamics and different people bring out different traits in you and vice versa. I think that's something that's really, really cool that's about true. polyamory. You don't have to put so much pressure on any one person yeah. to check off every single box. My <laughs> relationship with Thomas is completely different than my other relationship, and I value and love both relationships uh, equally. Um so I, you know, I really like that, but I also do appreciate monogamy too. I think there's a the thing that we're all finding agreement on, uh, along with we've listed a couple like obligatory agreements. Like we all right. agree that consent is obligatory, right? And we agree yes. that op- being open and honest is going to yield successful relationships. But it sounds like largely we agree that there are many different ways that a relationship could be considered successful, like. I suspect that even though you understand the biblical perspective on the relationship, I feel like, Will, you're aware that there are monogamous homosexual couples that have the same kind of emotional connection that you do with your wife. And I can even go so far as to say things like monogamous homosexuality is probably superior to uh, non, not not poly, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, promiscuous homosexuality, if for no other reason than because uh, uh, you're less chance of, of getting in disease uh, <clears throat> situations. But, I mean, oh, th- there, there are practical concerns with the lifestyle. Gosh, I really feel like I stepped in a mud puddle on that oh. one. Well, <laughs> I, um, I will. Let, let me try. Let me try. I again. will say. Try again. I will say. Statistically, <laughs> monogamous people do tend to have a higher rate of of STDs than poly people, just for the fact that. Really? Monog- yeah. Well, monogamous people don't have that allowance to have other relationships, honestly, and a lot of people cheat. 
Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, so it's the open and honesty thing. <laughs> yeah, right, openness. Right. And, yeah, when you're hiding stuff, you tend to hide. Right. You 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 can hide at other the, things the, like the fact you got the clap. At the very yeah. least, if you're being open, then everybody can you know be safe and aware of the risk that they're taking. Where if you don't have that, like if you're having if you have an expectation of monogamy, which is what I really have a problem with, and you don't have, at least you don't see an avenue, you know, where you're allowed to do other than that. People just cheat. They yeah. break the rules. It's the forbidden fruit thing again, you know? And that's where if people aren't wired for something, why are they trying to do it? Because society hasn't given them another option, and it's not acceptable. The other option is not acceptable. Are you fact-checking me, JJ? <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you heard the clicking in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, I figured he might. Yeah, and and if I'll play devil's advocate against my own position here on on one thing, I remember when reading a JFK biography, one of the uh, there there was a the author of the biography. I don't remember which one it was, but because I've read probably twelve now on JFK, uh, the author interviewed a psychologist and said that some people are just made or are more wired to sow wild oats, and some people are more wired to settle down with with one person, and the Kennedys. By and, f- by and large, all of the male ones at least, seem to all be in the wild oats camp. And it might have been healthier. Once again, I'm playing devil's advocate. It's not necessarily my position. But it might have been healthier for them to be poly, right. to have it open and honesty instead of going behind Jackie's back. I, I would argue anybody who's more wired for it probably is healthier. But somebody who's not wired for it probably isn't healthier in an you know, a non-monogamous relationship if that's not what makes them happy. Although for myself, even if I were personally, you know, not wired to want to have more than one relationship uh, in my life, I think I would still probably hold as a value respecting the autonomy of my partners and not wanting to restrict them from it. Right. So for me, it's more of a personal thing um, where my value as far as other people go is just not controlling what they do. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but Gretchen and I, it was understood very early on that we were both wanting a closed circle relationship. So there was no, I'm not restricting, I don't feel like I'm restricting her now. And and I certainly don't feel restricted by her. We both agreed that this was something we wanted. I think it's certainly possible for people to mutually have that goal for their relationship so those i can see as very healthy monogamous relationships right it's where somebody who maybe doesn't necessarily want that but doesn't realize they have other options and they they know they want to have you know a relationship but they don't realize that and this is actually the case for me is i didn't at one point realize that non-monogamy was actually an option i didn't know that anyone would ever actually agree to that yeah. Now, do you, once again, feel free to not answer, but did uh, you and, and Sarah, were you guys poly before you got married? We were. Yeah. Or is that something that oh, developed be- afterwards? Before we were married, yes, but not before we were in a relationship. Yeah, we've been together for 13 years. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I we- wonder how, how, do, how do you guys even have that initial conversation? We met people that were polyamorous and... Thanks, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not him directly, but just no, the group of people yeah. uh, in Kansas City. Um, so yeah, we actually <laughs> met people and it kind of opened Thomas's eyes. And it where I was in that time frame, I was more monogamous. So I was a little more resistant to it. Um, even as we started to pursue it, I was more resistant to it. Um, just because I'm more monogamish <laughs> compared to him. Oh, interesting term. 
Yeah. <laughs> a ne- ne- what is that called? A neologism? Uh, where you, you, you went, uh, create a word on the fly? <laughs> yeah, it's actually a word uh, that people use, at least in the poly, uh, polyamorous okay. uh, world anyway. But yeah, monogamish. I can, but to me, it's like a choice. I can go either way. For Thomas, it's more like something that he truly believes is a part of him. Um, but do you have anything to say, Thomas? No, that was. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it we just fell into it because we met people who were doing it. They were practicing it, and it. Well, like for me, it was almost like when I came out of religion, a lot of things clicked. Whenever I started challenging some of the views that I had had, like the universe isn't ten thousand years old. Oh, wait, there's proof of this, and certain things just kind of clicked, and that kind of kept happening until all of a sudden. I just wasn't convinced of most of it anyway. Um, And then I had never really deprogrammed a lot of my religious views on relationships as well. So just kind of being exposed to, well, people can be honest and consensually not be monogamous. And it was like, oh, why did I never consider that? But I feel like we pointed out that the things that make relationships successful are the honesty and the openness Mm -hmm. and the mutual agreement and the consent. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and actually, the Bible. Uh, I, I don't think the you you can make a scriptural argument for for polyamory, but you can uh, pull without taking things way out of context for what you were just talking about the the uh, not only the open honestness uh, openness and honesty, but also that there's a mutual agreement about what's going on here, and that's the unequally yoked passage. The uh, right. in 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 Leviticus it says that uh, you shall not. Uh, yoke and oxen with uh, cattle because they walk differently, and you're going to the the yoke is going to rip at, at each other's. I, I have uh, used that shoulders. passage in declining so that, a date that, with a Christian. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, and see, yeah, and, and that's why Paul you Paul uses that to say that that uh, a, a Christian and non Christian shouldn't be uh, dating each other or, or uh, marrying each other because their their the walk is different. Their their different goals, values. their aims in life are different, and if I, I think it would be hard for, um, uh, I think it would be hard for somebody who's who, for instance, believes that the entire universe is heading towards new heavens and new earth with Jesus in control, and somebody who doesn't believe that at all, um, to to really have a lot of common ground. Right. That's kind of why I I tend to seek out people who are of like mind to date. I'm I'm not out to like convert people. <laughs> yeah. But it's so weird. Well, because and- for, oh, sorry. Um, no, and I was just saying, just to apply that to the poly discussion, I, I think it'd be hard for somebody like me who was uh, committedly monogamous to be married to someone who was committedly poly or vice versa. It can be challenging for sure. Um, I think it's funny because Thomas's view is he he doesn't really want to pursue someone who's like monogamous and like try and pers- almost persuade them. I don't want to. Yeah, try to convert them. Yeah. Kind of. right. But for me, because I was that person, I kind of don't mind that so much because some people don't know that's an option. How True. else do they how else will they know it's an option if you don't offer it and say, hey, you know, there's other options? I guess maybe because I have probably swayed some people's mindsets. One person I started talking to on a dating site uh, told her up front, this is what I am. She said, OK, well, I'm not interested in that. And I said, that's totally cool. We can be friends. I'm not going to try and sway you. And then just kind of talking to me, she eventually started to kind of change her mindset on it just because she had misconceptions of it. And we ended up not dating. We're, we're just still friends. But uh, um, I've, I've had that experience. I, 
I dated a person for two years who didn't identify as poly and she embraced it. Um, yeah. It really wasn't a she hard loved transition. It actually, I feel like. Right. So, <laughs> well, and, and before we close this out, there is something I want to bring up early on in the, in the conversation. I believe it was JJ brought up that the Bible does tend to uh, at least describe, if not prescribe, um, some uh, poly relationships. But I, I want to push back on that a little bit because the relationships you see in the Bible are not polyamory. It's polygamy Correct. with uh, a male-centered. It's you never see in the Bible uh, one woman with multiple uh, husbands. It's always one man with multiple wives. If I and in every case in the Bible that that appears, it's never helped. It's like you're trying to push me away from the if, Bible or something. <laughs> if I, I I was only bringing that up to show that there there were disparate relationship systems. Uh-huh. I don't think that the Bible endorses a polyamorous lifestyle. Right. I don't, I don't or polygamy. Mm-hmm. And I would even say if the Bible did weigh in on polyamory versus polygamy, I would suggest that if it weighed in at all, it would go against polygamy because polygamy is just it's just not it's, it's not a healthy way right. to to arrange uh, a marriage. Right. It's it's unbalanced. Well, and I would say also is prescribed monogamy as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily healthy. Right. Yeah, prescribed or uh, we're going to disagree on this. I, I would, I would say, prescribed monogamy is still healthy. It's still as even, a preferred even way. Even for people who are enforced monogamy, enforced monogamy. I think you and I can agree that shouldn't happen. Where's the distinction? Where's the distinction? One, uh, it, somebody has the authority to force you to do something, and the other is just a a, a statement of values. Uh, and, I, well, and, I guess I should clarify. Um... Uh, I think we all agree that it would not be healthy for the government to only, you know, one man, one woman, and that is the legal policy. Um, Where, like, do you think the Bible makes a case for monogamy that you should be monogamous instead of polyamorous? And does it do so for practical reasons, or is that a, a a divine command? Yes. I, I, I mean, the, you can well, say, first, and you could say both. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And that, that was, yeah, that was pretty much where I was going with that, that, you know, yeah. mildly clever response. <laughs> the, um, you, the New Testament really doesn't, except for like I, I was explaining earlier, uh, in just the definition of porneia and what porneia just by definition is and is not. The really the only time in the New Testament that I'm aware of that really goes into husband of only one wife kind of talk is when it's talking about who should or should not be an overseer of a church. Um, and uh, like th- there are there are ethical thought experiments. Like, what if I were to become a missionary in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and I successfully evangelized a uh, a 50 year old man to come to Christ and he was all excited. And then he asked me, oh, does this mean I have to divorce two of my three wives? What an interesting quandary, because uh, which one am I going to uh, enforce? Is it that God hates divorce, or is it monogamy? And as long as that man's not going to be the overseer of the church, I would actually lean towards, you know, stick to your commitments, man. You know, you, you made these commitments, you got to stick to them. You know, deep down inside, I had a suspicion that we were going to agree on a lot more. Yeah. I I, I guess, 
we agree we've come across by and large with the exception of you know the religious or you know the theological questions at the hand more apologetic questions right. yeah we largely think that it seems sounds like everybody's in concert that how society should conduct itself should be one way versus another yeah i think really the difference between myself and and, and the rest of the panel is that I still see a a value structure in which certain things are better. Like I, I don't want to tell you guys how to to live your life, but I still think that a committed, healthy, open, consensual, monogamous relationship is superior. Um, you're fully allowed to disagree with me, and that's cool. Let's go get pizza later. Instead of disagreeing, you know? I just kind of want to ask why. Oh, you know. Um, I just, I, I, well, I mean, scriptural reasons, et cetera, et cetera, you know, fill in the blank. But you but said it was for I both just, scriptural or both divine command and practical reasons. So I'm just curious what the practical reasons actually are. Oh, I, I just, I feel like a closed circle of relationships is going to have far less baggage, far less complications. Um, if, if, uh, I would worry, for instance, if my wife was polygamous, if, or, or uh, polyamory, I'm sorry. Uh, poly, polyamorous? Yes. yes. Is that the term? If my wife was polyamorous and we got pregnant, would it be my child or uh, another man's child? And should it matter? And of course it shouldn't, but it would. And it is to me, so it, for you, com- it seems com- like all of these questions are just baggage that Gretchen and I, assuming neither of us cheat, well, are going to have to deal with. It's a concept you haven't really thought of before. So, I mean, that's stuff that's always discussed. Oh, I've, I mean, I've thought of it. JJ and I have been friends since far before he was ever knew what poly, uh, polyamory meant, uh, so I, I've I've uh, been, we've been kind of uh, on each other's. We're like comets circling around the sun, not not quite you know best friends anymore, but uh, but you know we we kind of follow each other and, and our, our life's trajectory. Both outgassing more about. than we should be. <laughs> so you think both what outgassing more than we should be? <laughs> do Do you think <laughs> that the, so you're saying that the complexity of polyamorous relationships makes them inferior? Yeah, I'm afraid I do. I'm afraid I do feel that way. But once again, I I always got got to uh, reiterate, feel free to disagree with me. I just think that's an interesting take. (laughs) I personally feel like... Like, Because you could also, if you took that the other direction, then wouldn't the simplicity of being single be superior to a monogamous relationship? Yeah. I think Paul would agree with you, the apostle. But Um, then if you're not getting fulfillment from that, does that then make monogamy superior to being single? Hmm. That's a very interesting take. So, if you're and if that's the case, yeah, go if, ahead. if that's the case, if you take that the other direction, if you're not mm-hmm. getting fulfillment from monogamy, would that make polyamory superior? Yeah. My, like I said, that's a very interesting take. I, I would uh, have to consider that. I mean, I'm not, my my knee jerk reaction still is no, but you know, mostly because. I'm a human, and because well, I, I can use uh, your all humans are kind of set in their pattern until I, they because I could use you know, your argument change. to argue you out of monogamy yeah. into just being single. Mm-hmm. For simplicity, yeah. I mean, all relationships are complicated. I mean, at, at times, not always, but all relationships are complicated. Being in love is complicated. They all have similar risks, whether it's po- po- polyamorous or monogamous, or and I think honestly, in practice, it's not been as complicated. Um, or as as much more complicated as I might have thought, no. Because uh, monogamous relationships are already complicated uh, because anything, people are complicated. And if anything, now oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, if anything, our relationship has gotten a lot stronger, and we don't, you know, 
there's no secrets. I can be completely vulnerable and honest, even if it's brutally honest to Thomas and he can do the same with me. And I feel like before we opened up our relationship, we didn't really have that. Now, I'm asking a question here, not making an argument. In your circle of friends, just limiting it to other polyamorous couples, have there been any crash and burn situations, don't name names, but crash and burn situations where it did not work out that well and jealousy reared its ugly head and it really did get too complicated? I would say yes, but probably not as many instances of that, at least proportionately with the number of monogamous people who have had crash and burn relationships that just soured for various reasons. Um, I mean, I think relationships in general are going to be complicated. You're going to have problems and they're certainly not all going to work out. Right. Generally, and I think I have kind of a skewed (laughs) um, sampling because the people that I know that are polyamorous are intentionally polyamorous and they've come to that conclusion through a lot of scrutiny and challenging of assumptions. So they're probably, if I would say if you had a whole culture of polyamorous people, it would probably be a little different than the more considerate people that I happen to know because they are very intentional in the way that they do relationships and they tend to be pretty mature, responsible people. We have to be careful here. I think we risk smuggling in a premise that we might not intend to. It sounds like we're smuggling in a premise that we have an expectation of how long a relationship should last. Right. Correct. And that's Mm. society right there tells you if it fails, then it was a bad relationship. And I hate that. Or if it ends, then it failed. Yes. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of And I'm willing I'm willing to reevaluate my position on that one, but I I I do tend to lean towards the idea that a forever relationship is superior. And see, I've I've I know a lot of poly people who have ended romantic relationships and still maintained healthy relationships just non-romantically, um where I tend to see that I mean it happens just not maybe as frequently among the monogamous friends that I have. Where they no, that happens in sitcoms. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out on this one. Monogamous relationships that crash and burn. In th- there are movies and sitcoms where they go on to remain friends. That that does. I mean, there you can come up with anecdotal evidence of that happening in real life. That doesn't happen in real life. At no. least not in my experience. Hmm. That that. that um, Maybe, my, if, if, maybe uh, my polyamorous friends are superior <laughs> to yours. <laughs> yeah, Perhaps, like, at least in this, at least in this re- regard, yeah. I think these are all. Now, I'm not really so committed to my worldview that I'm not. A, I'm not so committed to my worldview that I wouldn't admit that if you got a you know a, a good parry in on me. The uh, I'm, I think you can actually you can make some arguments uh, for uh, homosexuality as superior to heterosexuality, and that you're hardly ever going to have unintended pregnancies. Yeah, I, I mean, still don't think that that uh, I still don't personally feel like uh, homosexuality is superior to heterosexuality. Well, but you're you have to argue it in terms of for whom is it superior? Because everybody's not the same, and one size does not fit all. So yeah. for a homosexual, a, a heterosexual relationship is not superior for them. Right. I just don't understand why we have to compare it based on what's more superior. I don't like that. Right. I think that it's more a matter of what works better for you. Yeah. And in in practical terms, we're actually in agreement because uh, once again, back to to the freedom, you are allowed to disagree with me and, hey, let's go get a pizza later. I'm not going to let it affect how I I feel about you if if you disagree with me. Uh, But I think if we expand it beyond sexuality, I think we we can find that we actually do 
agree on certain things. For instance, is it superior to be patriotic to the point that you're willing to lay down your life if your country is threatened, like in Pearl Harbor? Is that kind of patriotism superior to the kind of patriotism that, that makes you storm the Capitol because your preferred candidate didn't win? I think we can say, even though there's people that are going to disagree with us, the MAGA crowd, for instance, uh, we can still say pretty comfortably that, no, the, the, the patriotism that, allow, that, that leads you to defend your country is, is superior to the patriotism that leads you to try to overthrow your darn country. All right, let's pause there. Because the only reason that we might agree on that is because we believe that the MAGA crowd that stormed the Capitol were doing so on the premise of a mistake. Hmm. They, I would not argue that they felt less patriotic. I wouldn't say they felt less patriotic. If, if anything, they probably felt more patriotic. At least they felt and, they, they were more nationalistic and thought they was patriotic. And, and if one... If one's patriotism is commitment to the country one wants, then I would argue that they were still very patriotic. It just happens that the country, the America that they were patriotic for, wasn't the America that actually elected a president. But that's not the America they wanted anyway. What do you do when you expect, when you watch your country steal your vote away? I mean, the only thing that makes that patriot, that the patriot, the only thing that can, I'm not saying that I agree with it, but if I'm going to grant anything to that argument, the only thing that I can grant it is that the difference between the two groups was that one wasn't based on a complete fabrication. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> From our perspective. Good analysis. Because yeah. there is also some American propaganda that we get fed to, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but, I mean, but my, my point doesn't we've, necessarily we've have to involve. Yeah, my my argument doesn't necessarily have to involve the that particular area. Okay, so well, if, no, the, the, if, you're, if you and I, JJ, let's say you and I are. By the way, it's hard for me not to call you Jacob. For, oh, you can call me Jacob. I for years, it was it was always Jacob, and 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 it was interesting when when I had forgotten this, but my mom likes to remind me when we were really young. I don't know if this was your story, but it was my story. I had gifted kid syndrome. Where at some point you uh, you you drop something like you're 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 seven years old and you tell somebody that Reykjavik is the capital of Iceland and they're literally impressed that you know that. So then you go on to just make crap up, um, but just to get that uh, people impressed at you again. And my mom always called me out on that. And when she called me out, I would always lean to you as my. <laughs> she would say, "Where did you hear that?" And I'd say, "Oh, Jacob Cantrell told me." <laughs> thrown under the bus <laughs> <laughs> of course i was lying he didn't tell me all the stuff i made that's up, but... funny okay darn. Sure, okay. i know i made but, up so, stuff. my parents would make me do reports when i was you know 10 or 11 because i'd spat off some dumb quote unquote air quotes fact uh-huh and they'd say is that really true and i'd be like yeah i read it in a book and they'd say go pull that book up Exactly. I was like, oh. oh no! And this was pre-Wikipedia for our yeah. for our younger millennials and our uh, even younger than that crowd. I never make anything up. I'm always honest, 100. percent Oh no! I I <laughs> I started to outgrow that the gifted kid syndrome until I got to high school and I found out that I could harness that energy to win forensics tournaments. 
uh, especially extemporaneous speech. And I won so many tournaments by lying and just making mm. stuff up. Wow. And so it was, I was well into college before I really outgrew that. Should I be reevaluating this entire conversation? <laughs> so, 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 and, so to be clear, I, I didn't lie about every – see, if, if, for those who don't know uh, extemporaneous speech, you, you're given a, a, a question and you have to do some – you've got 30 minutes to do research and then you have to give a speech about it. And occasionally you get a question that you just really don't know. So you just got to go in the room and you've got to make stuff up. I remember giving an entire speech that was um, – uh, and I gave this speech. All oh, it was about uh, in, in Israeli um, uh, defense network and how we needed to support the Israelis for this reason or that reason. And then when I got home, I actually found an article on the question, and it was some uh, uh, health plan that that Hillary Clinton was suggesting uh, be be implemented. I mean, I just totally I, I had no choice either that or I walk into the room and say I forfeit. And so I. I I do that that was rare. <laughs> Most of my speeches were based on research, but what I what I mean is that I use that gifted kid syndrome to occasionally lie my butt off. <laughs> there is there's a place I wanted to put a pin in. Go ahead. Before before we wandered off is we were in your example about you know the example of Pearl Harbor patriotism versus uh, storm the Capitol patriotism. Mm -hmm. The the one thing that I am happy to grant that I can distinguish is asymmetrical is that there is a fact of the matter in one case where there is a, a fiction of the matter in, in another. And so I using, would be willing to grant objective versus subjective. Right. Using that metric, is there a way that you can describe that you would continue to describe monogamy as a superior relationship form than polyamory? Um, to be honest, probably not an argument that you guys would would grant. I mean, uh, some of the stuff that uh, I still believe that, that monogamy carries less baggage, but you guys wouldn't agree that it's baggage and you don't have to. And I would argue that, that monogamy, well, at least non-cheating monogamy, um, which you can make an argument isn't real monogamy, uh, you have less chance of, of disease, unintended pregnancies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you guys aren't going to accept those arguments, and I wouldn't expect you to. Well, and you could also argue that monogamy also carries baggage with it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I won't doubt that. So, so at least because it's getting late, I'm going to have to yeah. yes. put the kid down or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like this might be a, a good place to stop and and just kind of you know just take a quick overview before we kind of close things out and uh, recognize how much of everybody's perspective I've really enjoyed listening to personally. I, you know, I fall into the polyamory camp, but I really, like, I do appreciate that, you know, although you have your own personal beliefs, that you're very uneager to impose those beliefs by yeah. legislation. Agreed. Yeah, at very least, I reserve the right for persuasion. But and, I would, and I'm happy I to listen. Want to, yeah. I wouldn't want to legislate my morality. Right. Um, and, and basically the only time, the only kind of morality I would want to legislate would be things that, that violate somebody else's autonomy, like murder and rape. Right. Mm -hmm. I would consider those moral issues. Yeah. But since I'm violating somebody else's autonomy, then they should be legislated morality as well. Right. I, I think where maybe I might, <laughs> uh, 
experience some concern over persuasion is when that persuasion is over somebody like a child and it's of an unhealthy mindset, um, such as, and you've, you've expressed that you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, um, disown or shame, you know, a child for being on the, you know, non-heterosexual or what have you, um, but that you would still advocate for, um, heterosexuality and monogamy. And I think that from my perspective, that would be where I would have a little concern of persuading people towards things that. That's, uh, that's going to hurt your kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like said, I grew up in a very open family and that made me feel so free and so liberated where I didn't. And it damaged me for years. And I did. And it, and it helped me. So, I mean, I, I, let me rephrase that. I, I, you know, we're all, whether we, whether we want to admit it or not, we're all at least partially crafted by our experience and coming from a (laughs) marriage where, and unless there's a massive Goliath sized skeleton in the closet that hasn't been revealed. And I don't anticipate that happening. My parents have remained faithful to each other since 1980. And, um, so I think that's I, where I tend to kind of try to fall back to data. Um, and uh-huh. if you look at like teen suicide yeah. rates, you yeah, look yeah. at the, the highest teen suicide rates are homosexual boys, homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's a reason for that. And I've tried to, t- I've tried to tell Chris, I've been, I've been preaching that, that point of data, right. uh, datum to, uh, Christians for, for ages that, right. uh, we need to, if, if we're going to stick through by our morality and I would make an argument that, that if if we believe all that the Bible says about uh, an almighty God, that we still need to stick to our guns. On that, that being said, don't simplify it. Don't make out those who disagree with us as if they're just evil or just dumb or stupid, that there are, there are things that are going on that, that if, we, if we have a chance, we should, we should try to address and help. And that's one of them, that the suicide rate at least at one point, the suicide rate among known homosexuals was four times higher than the rate among known heterosexuals. Right. And I mean, it's a fine line between advocating for what you see as superior and making someone feel less than for who they actually are. Yeah, I think the key... And I would always want to be careful not to do that if I can. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, thank you. I think the key is to accept support and love your child or children regardless of you know if they're straight or gay or whatever i think that will go the distance versus telling someone to be celibate or go towards a heterosexual lifestyle or monogamy i think it's better to support and love your child despite your differences well and but let me let me uh, use an example i've already inadvertently brought up uh my mom loves me more than any human on the face of this earth, with the exception perhaps of my wife. But even there, I'd say it's debatable. My, my mom is amazing. Uh, and yet she never accepted my gifted kid syndrome. She always pushed back on that. She always wanted to craft and hone uh, my tendency to Are lie, you comparing to gifted people. kid syndrome no, to... No, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. I, it's, it's apples to oranges, I know. But I'm simply advocating for the broader concept that a parent should be allowed to, that if you say that you love your child, whether it's uh, a tendency towards uh, fibbing or whether it's uh, a sexual orientation or whether it's, 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 literally anything. If you, I I reserve the right that that a parent should be allowed to hone um, 
that without that also meaning, well, they don't love that kid anymore. Well, I mean, but you're, you, you're now comparing homosexuality with fibbing as if it's a bad once thing. Once again, Apple, like, well, the, the gifted kid syndrome is fibbing. It's lying. At least it let, wasn't my case. Let, let me clear something up to make sure. Are you in any way, shape, form, or fashion under the impression that a preference for same-sex sexual attraction is anything that's controllable? I think it's more controllable than we want to admit. But you and I disagree wholeheartedly on determinism. So that's always going to be uh, uh, an underlying issue behind us. Do I think that it's a choice? I already explained earlier. No, I don't think it's it's just a choice where somebody makes a a, a choice with no underlying determinative then, factors. Then why would you even suggest celibacy or heterosexuality if it's not a choice? Wait, I'm just well, go ahead. No, but I I I, I'm, I say that that I think that there probably is more choice than um, than we want to admit. If we just look at, at statistics in societies where homosexuality is more accepted versus homosexual or societies where homosexuality is less accepted. You're always going to have a percentage of the population, no matter what society and no matter what point in history, there's always going to be a segment of the population who are homosexual. Um, in societies where it is more acceptable and even celebrated, that number climbs. Now, it does it climb because the society is not repressive, and so more people are willing to come out and be recognized? Of course. But is it also a situation where certain people are more impressionable than they realize? Yes, and I, that's measurable. I believe it is that case. It's measurable, and it's actually more common with women are more plastic in their uh, flexibility of mm. who they can be sexual with than men are. Men yeah. tend to be more static. Mm-hmm. And this holds up across cultures. Yeah, sexuality is fluid. So it's a scale. Well, the thing and that since I'm, it's I'm, a fluid, since it's fluid, then then although it yes, is, it is I, more, I, I, it is more it, it's not fair me. to it's it's not fair then for me to or for for you guys to paint me into a corner where it's either either I'm a choice warrior where I'm well, no, like no, Reggie White see, standing in I the Wisconsin argue, I legislature arg- arguing that I, I, I people would, just choose to do that. I wouldn't argue that whether or not it's a choice. Um, because in some cases, I think that people can be more flexible with who they want to be in a relationship, i.e. a bisexual person. They could maybe choose who mm-hmm. they want to be in a relationship with. Somebody who's hard on either side, maybe not so much, but in either case, why are either of those considered wrong? Well, it's going to come back in in, in the... And that's uh, where I disagree. Just, with just the, a pure right versus wrong thing. Right. I, I will have to admit it is an issue of scripture. And that's where I disagree and, with scripture. And with, that's that's yeah, why I feel and that course, scripture is yeah. detrimental to society. It also, I mean, we we can save this for another podcast, but it uh, it also um, scripture uh, laid uh, foundations for the Western society as well in many meaningful ways. So it's not. Completely detrimental to society. I didn't say entirely. And to suggest otherwise, I, I is, didn't say entirely. Yeah. I just said that it it has detrimental I'll aspects grant to that. it. Yeah. And if because arguably, if it not and for also that, how it's used, even Satan, even Satan tried to use scripture against. And you don't have to accept. You can accept it as myth. But the story of of Satan um, uh, tempting uh, Jesus in in the in the wilderness. Even Satan tried to use scripture against Jesus. So I, it, how how scripture is used is all, also matters as well. We're right. using it as a 
as a but, as a weapon to try to hurt someone, well, then it's always going to be used wrong that also way. Also, quote scripture. Yeah, I mean, I could take that same argument, and I've I've had that same argument with people with far more, um, maybe more Christiany or more conservative or more extreme views than you, and they're using the same reasoning. And and it, if it not for their religious belief, they wouldn't be doing it. So that's the commonality, and that's where I see the potential for harm and the potential to blind people to you know, what might otherwise actually be fine if you're only dealing with consequences, you know, consequences and not just with a, uh, a religious ideology. I, sometimes I, I have believed that it, it would be easier to be an atheist because I wouldn't have to do the balance between, um, scriptural, uh, <laughs> revelation and, just, and other forms of, of, um, of knowledge, right, dude? Um, we got t-shirts. But, yeah, but, but, <laughs> oh my gosh. but honestly, honestly, I, 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 I feel like um, this really is another podcast here. But <laughs> I, I really feel like there are, are reasons to believe that God exists, and that if God exists, then it would be reasonable for Him to to uh, reveal Himself to uh, to His to His people. So I, I want to seek out, and and I would even willing to admit, at least in theory. That perhaps the Christian scriptures are not that proper revelation. I would still want to, if God exists, I would still want to seek out his revelation. And so it's always going to be for me trying to balance between revelation and science and history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's You're always right. going to be a balance that for me. Definitely is another podcast. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to kind of wrap up. Did you have any final thoughts for us? No, I. Uh, uh, I mean, I have, I actually, I don't know how willing you are to do that Patreon add-on that we talked about earlier, but I, I have some things that are totally non-related to this subject, but I, uh, related to this subject, I guess my closing thought would be this, is I think we conservatives, and I think conservatives would kind of disagree whether I really fit that bill anymore <laughs> the last five years. I'm probably much more moderate, to be honest. It's kind of like we, the, cons uh, we, we, cons yeah, we no. conservatives need to be willing to listen to other people who disagree with us. And right. that's been the real value of this podcast for me is, is following because I've always I'm always looking for other voices that disagree with me to try to challenge and hone my own personal oh, me too. It's, you know, feelings and, and, and positions. I find great value in people that disagree with my ideas because if they can challenge them and point out things that I didn't see, then I can potentially learn from that. So, yeah, and vice versa. And I, I'll be honest, I just don't know much about polyamory, at least not in the uh, just the, the obvious definitional things about being uh, willing to right. um, uh, uh, be outside of monogamous relationships and still be committed to other relationships at the same time. Right. Other than that, I just don't know much. Well, I might, if I were going to leave you with one thing, it might be um, starting with a question is if you were to encounter somebody of, uh, let's say, you know, uh, Islamic faith and, you know, their beliefs are very much different than yours. Kind of from that perspective, from an outsider's perspective, what would you do to get them to question their beliefs? And for that, um, and should, and, and I should apply the same questions to mine. Yeah. I'd like for you to do the same thing and apply that, um, to, everything, including relationships and sexuality, and see if it's possible that from an outsider's perspective, there could be some things that maybe you haven't considered. Right. Whether or not you're yeah, right could, is kind of an, yeah. is, is besides the point. Whether it's right or wrong, it's just a matter of whether or not you've considered it. 
Yes. And I believe it or not, I actually engage in that kind of uh, uh, thought experiment as often as I can or as often as 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 my mind comes around to it. I just don't. I don't know. The older I get, maybe I'm just more curmudgeonly. I just don't change my mind as much as I used to. That's common. <laughs> Although I will admit, I will admit, and maybe this is where we go on the Patreon. I have some thoughts on Genesis that might surprise you. Yeah. Well, we can uh, we can maybe schedule that because it's getting late today. Yes. But uh, yeah, we can we can certainly follow up with uh, some other thoughts. Yeah. That's... JJ, did you have any final thoughts? No, you guys covered it all. Cool. <laughs> is a lot, did we lose Elias? Did he? Yeah, he, is he still. He had to dip out. Yeah, he has Aww. an early bedtime. Yeah, I, 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 the, the, the part of me that's still a pastor. I'll be honest with you guys. I was a terrible pastor. I was a great preacher, terrible pastor. <laughs> but the part of me that still is feels like a pastor. Every time I hear him speak on the on the on the podcast, I, I just want to give him a hug <laughs> and and, oh and say, man, man, these questions are valid. <laughs> Feel free to ask me anytime. I'll buy you a hamburger. That's kind of that kind of thing. So, <laughs> you're you're our kind of people. We like to yeah. question things. All right. And and by the way, the Earth is spherical. Oh, there we go. That's I, good. <laughs> I know someone very confident that you're wrong in that. So <laughs> I'll point you yes, there. Very confident. Weird. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for anybody listening, if you'd like to become a guest, uh, analyzedpodcast.com. Fill out the form. Um, feel free to join the Patreon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, If you have questions, reach out to us. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your week. See you guys.